This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, August 18th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 266. Make sure to subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. They'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Big Friday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Guys, we've got a lot of breaking news. Even more revelations come out in the Joe Biden crime syndicate scandal. We'll bring you the latest. Donald Trump appeared on Larry Kudlow's show yesterday and put out some America First messaging via the campaign. We'll check in with the highlights on those, and we'll play a little 2024 presidential primary roundup. Got a great slate of guests coming in today. First-timers across the board. The RNC chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel, will be here. Chadwick Moore, who just wrote the new Tucker Carlson book, will be joining us as well. And we'll be sitting down with the infamous Roger Stone. Lots of great guests, but before we get into the interviews, let's jump straight into the headlines and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! 75% of Americans believe the economy is in poor condition, and maybe that's because, again, even though inflation rates have come down, they are still paying more. Uh, 63% of people in this poll disapprove of how President Biden is handling the economy. What do you say, Secretary Yellen, to the clear majority of Americans who simply do not believe that the administration is helping them? Our economy is doing so well, and it's in good part because of the work we in the Senate and the president did uh, over the last summer. Name me a single objective we've ever set out to accomplish that we've failed on. Name me one in all of our history. Not one. We all want to thank the president for making all the difference in the world with an agenda of diversity, inclusion, innovation, and justice always for the children. I want to say one thing to your children. I know some really great ice cream places around here. (laughs) And daddy owes you. So talk to me afterwards. Can you tell us about your Hawaii trip, sir? No, not now. I'm going to be leaving. I'll be there on Monday. Why is it important that you go? Sir, on the family issue. Thank you. Politely ask the press to, to leave. Thank you for coming in. All right, big Friday edition of the show getting kicked off here. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to Steak for Breakfast. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. I'm Roan. Noah's here today. Yo. Thank God. And guest hosting with us, because we just absolutely love him, is the uh, very beardly CEO of the Patriot Cigar Company and host of MAGA Mornings, Mr. Alan Jacoby, is back. What's up, boys? Thanks for having me back. Break out one of those cigars right now. There you go. Mm. You just heard a mega montage of Joe Biden being creepy janet yellen lying about the economy did you read the teleprompter again like was that politely asked the press to leave that was just like a suggestion that's why he took a breath and was like "Mm." what was with the days after like he was staring them down like all right get up and get out it was just weird he was trying to do it with his mind thanks for coming he doesn't have a mind well that's why it didn't work (laughs) (laughs) so they didn't leave 
No, they just were like kind of they they panned back to the press and they were just sitting there staring at him. And then you hear towards the end of that clip, it's a short one, but the handler is starting to say, all right, everybody, let's go. Move it out. But oh, why? yeah, they start, like, yelling at them like they're stray dogs. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, get out. Yeah, but why and would that him. actually be in there? When When is the president ever politely asked the press to leave? Like, thank you for coming, maybe? Like, like maybe just write. Like, you already know this guy's got issues with the teleprompter. Anything you put on the teleprompter, Burgundy, will read. <laughs> like, just put, thank you for coming. Uh, well, listen. Was that confirmed that was in the teleprompter, it's, or was he just like, because I only saw it once, was he like, uh, now we're going to politely ask the press to leave, or that was literally in the teleprompter? No, because you could hear him fumbling around with it at the end, and then he's like, thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a train wreck. You know, he is, and he's just standing there, like, autistically looking off into the audience, just like, I don't know what to make of this or him. But he, was, he was waiting for somebody with a glow stick on a string to oh, lead him off gosh. the fucking stage. Well, I want uh, I want to get to the teleprompter and offer them a lot of money to add something in there like Ron Burgundy. Go f yourself, America. <laughs> I, tell you, I tell you what's not on would. the teleprompter is that we have three first time guests on the show today. It's been a while since we have done that because a lot of our great friends are always circling back. Uh, we're going to have Chadwick Moore, who just wrote the Tucker Carlson book. It's a great read. And it's going to be interesting to kind of get to know some of the backstory of what went into that. You know, Tucker's personal life all the way up through his firing at Fox News. And the breaking news that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show today regarding the former Fox News commentator. Uh, the infamous Roger Stone will be here for the first time. Nice. Thanks for helping broker that, Alan. Anytime. You're fucking man. I like it. And we'll be sitting down with the RNC chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel, who still got a few minutes to cancel, but... Listen, I think she's going to be here, and uh, we're going to have a conversation. And I think it's going to be great. Unlike the economy right now, where over 70% of the American public uh, hate it and hate Joe Biden for making it that way. Uh, I can't believe out of all the things that they were going to roll out, I mean, obviously the foreign policy wasn't going to be too great of a pillar, neither was the border, crime, education standards, etc., but to roll out the economy is what you're going to run on for your reelection pitch and, and Bidenomics. I just don't know where they go from here. Are, is Kamala Harris's speechwriter wearing two hats now? She's mm. giving political advice to Joe Biden and writing her horrible speeches. Kindly ask the press to leave. Uh, who is Biden's main economic advisor? Do you know? Uh, I think it's Ronald McDonald. <laughs> I know who his chief of staff is. It's one of Noah's favorites. Sideshow uh, Bob? No, close. Jeff Zients. Zients! There you go. <laughs> and uh, everybody was reminded. I, we played every time he's been on uh, with, with either Yellen or, or the energy secretary over the course of the last year. John Podesta is still running shot behind the scenes over at the White House as a senior yeah, energy official. I mean, you've got uh, Susan Rice, who stepped down from her position to probably do even more stuff than she was doing to pull Joe Biden's strings. Toria Newland, uh, Lisa Monaco, uh, you know, Jeff Sullivan, you name it, and everyone that instigated, propriated, and had their hands in the cookie jar regarding the Russiagate scandal is pretty much who runs our government now. Uh, i.e. the entirety of the Biden administration. I feel like that's not a beneficial cast of characters for the success of America, the greatest country on the planet. Soon to be formally Are known. Are we? Yeah, if we, don't, if we don't get our shit together, soon to be formally known. <laughs> yeah, I don't, don't want to be there for that. Hey, listen, we're going to talk about elections and how important they are a little bit with uh, the RNC chairwoman. So, you know, while Joe Biden is 
on and off the trail, taking the small steps and ignoring disasters like what happened in Maui last week. Uh, there, there have been some new developments in the Biden crime family syndicate scandal, which no one's done anything about except go on places like Fox News and Newsmax and talk about. That so, does a lot. We did report on the show on Tuesday that the overwhelming majority of the Republican leadership in the House is at a retreat this week, and they plan on coming out with strongly worded tweets and nasty press releases sometime next week. How much uh, mileage have we gotten out of these strongly written or strongly worded letters? Uh, I mean, that seems a lot of smoke. Nothing. Not that much fire. For me, the meme of the week so far to this point, and it's Friday here on the West Coast, has been, uh, what was that show where you could call, like, phone a lifeline? What was it called? I can't even believe you're saying this, Ron, because that's what I was just pulling up on my phone because I screenshotted. It was the... Uh, where you can phone a friend. Yeah. What show? You literally is, have it. Regis used to host oh, it. Oh, yeah. What is that? Uh, it wasn't Deal or No Deal. What's the name of the fucking show? Oh, How to Become a Millionaire. Yeah, something about millionaires. There you go. How to Become a Millionaire. Do you want, do you want to be a millionaire? Something like that. Yeah. So they have like Kevin McCarthy like in the hot seat, right? <laughs> Perfectly looks like the show and the four questions are, Democrats are trying to imprison your political opponents. What do you do about it? A, do nothing. B, strongly worded tweet. C, call for a committee. D, go on Fox News. <laughs> it's the truth. It yeah, is, it's, and they've done, it's doing nothing. It's nothing. And it sucks because some of our great friends here on the show are America First congressmen and women that frequent us. You know, I see people like Corey Mills and Wesley Hunt and Mike Collins, you know, the stronger side uh, of, of the freshman class. Listen, they're putting out receipts on social media and stuff, and now even people for for ones like them are like all the comments are like do something stop talking about it don't go on Joe Rogan it's just like oof i mean you know if people haven't learned with Ron DeSantis, Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham getting publicly shamed every time they go somewhere like that that will spread to some of the congressmen and women who don't deserve it because a lot of the american public doesn't understand that congress is a numbers game i listened to a great space it was Tuesday night. Uh, Jim Path hosted it, who was on the show with us last week. Mm -hmm. Matt Gates and Chip Roy were both speakers in there. And, you know, Chip Roy tried to keep it as official as possible. Dude, Matt Gates dropping F-bombs, saying things are bullshit. And, like, at the end of the day, you could hear, like, not defeatism, but been around the way it is really for a long time-ism, if you understand what I'm saying. And he's just like, bro, it's, it's a numbers game. <laughs> yep. He's like, wizard. 20, 30 people in the House Freedom Caucus that would vote to impeach anyone in the Biden administration right now. And he's like, we ain't getting somebody impeached with 30 votes. Like, people need to understand this. Like, these other people, they just, they don't want to get primary. They don't want to lose their election to a Democrat, so they don't even want to talk about that stuff. When Joe Biden is, they're showing it now almost on a daily basis how much of a criminal enterprise his family has been running for the last more than a decade. So I saw Fox News. We talked about the coincidental timelines of uh, Joe Biden revelations that coincide with Donald Trump indictments. And uh, they kind of laid it out there a little bit nicely. So as we're going to talk about this for a bit, before we jump in with the RNC chairwoman, let's check it out. 
This week, and on the same day that another big story was breaking about the Hunter Biden probe, raising quite a few eyebrows about the timing of all of this. So let's break down the timeline of Trump's indictments versus the key developments in the Hunter saga. So let's start in New York City this March. Look at this Biden family and the laptop revelations versus Trump's indictments. So this is the first indictment. March 16th, the House Oversight Committee reveals that Biden family payments from this Chinese energy company. Well, look at this. Two days later, Trump says he's going to be indicted in New York. He wrote that on social media. Then April 4th, the Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, indicts Trump in that hush money case. This is right after we find out about all this money from the energy company. Okay, so that is New York City. Let's go to Florida. This is in June. The bribery allegations and the plea deals versus Trump's second indictment. So these are the classified documents, Mar-a-Lago stuff. So on June 7th, the FBI releases the documents alleging that the Bidens took the $10 million bribe from Burisma. Remember? The uh, owner of Burisma caught in the coffee shop saying five million for one Biden, five million for another. Mm. Then the very next day, look at this. Jack Smith indicts Trump in the Mar-a-Lago document case. Then on July 26, that's the Hunter Biden sweetheart deal that's rejected. The very next day, July 27th, Jack Smith adds more charges in the Mar-a-Lago case. Let's slap some more charges to that. All right. So then in July, let's go to D.C. Devin Archer interview versus Trump's third indictment. So this was the January 6th stuff. July 31st, Devin Archer testifies that Joe Biden was on 20 plus phone calls with his son's business partners. The very next day, Jack Smith indicts Trump for the January 6th case. Coincidence? We don't know. You decide. All right, now let's go to Georgia. This happened uh, recently, the last few days. FBI agent transcript versus Trump's fourth indictment. So in the morning on August 14th, GOP releases the transcripts from this FBI agent involved in the Hunter Biden investigation. And it has it happens to uh, coincide with what the whistleblower was saying that they someone tipped off the Secret Service tipped off Hunter Biden. He was never interviewed. So their stories are very similar. So then on August 14th, that same day, later in the afternoon or that night and that evening, Fulton County D.A. Fonnie Willis charges Trump and 18 others in the Georgia 2020 election probe. What do you guys think? There's no such thing as coincidences. Mm. That's for sure. And no. no. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. There's no coincidences. We had Cash Patel on the show on Tuesday, and, you know, we call her Phony Fanny Willis, even though yes. her, apparently the correct pronunciation of her name is Fanny. And uh, Cash Patel for 13 minutes straight called her Fanny Phyllis. And Fanny I, tec- Phyllis. I texted him after the show. I was like, He's like, bro, you know you called her Fanny Phil. He's like, I don't give a shit. He's like, I don't care about that. She's like, she's a fucking hack. And uh, I was like, good for you. Yeah, um, you know, like there's people that you you worry about mis mispronouncing their name. She's not one of them. You call her anything but. She's phony, Fanny, Willis, Phyllis, whatever you want. She got some cankles on her, too. Ugh. Oof. Definitely not on WikiFeet, to say the least. Former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. I saw him on Real America's Voice yesterday. And you know he remains a Capitol Hill insider. Uh, to give a little credibility to that timeline that we've talked about now, Fox News has kind of outlined for you guys in regards to every time you know a new bombshell regarding Joe Biden and his family's business dealing comes out, they throw more criminal charges, which now stand at 91 uh, against Donald Trump. Let's hear him. I am told, this is hearsay, but I am told by a reliable source that Friday evening somebody from Washington called the district attorney in Atlanta and said, you have to indict on Monday. Mm. We have to cover up all of the mistakes we just made with Weiss. And she mm. said, apparently, 
my jurors aren't coming back till Tuesday. And they said, you didn't hear me. You have to indict on Monday. And she said, well, they're not going to get here before noon. They said, it doesn't matter. She said, this, this means it's going to be eight or nine or 10 o'clock at night. They said, it doesn't matter. We need the news so media who, shifting. Who, who, off ma- who of made that phone call? We don't know. And I'm, and I'm telling you up front, this is hearsay, but it's from a person who has remarkably good I, sources. I, I totally believe it, though, because that would explain why they leaked and they messed up on the clerk document, why she was exhausted, <laughs> and why they had the 11 p.m. press conference, Mr. Speaker. That was uh, the former speaker, Newt Gingrich, appearing on Big Head Charlie Kirk show. And my, was it looking glorious and big. It's like an orange on a toothpick. <laughs> like an orange on a toothpick. <laughs> it's, just, it's all planned. It's all timed right. And listen, you have, what's the name, Pig Pile Katie Hobbs in mm. Arizona mm-hmm. talking about, hey, let's investigate Donald Trump and maybe indict him here. So they'll get that. Maybe they'll announce a grand jury soon. And then as soon as Congress comes back and starts speaking more and having more hearings about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and what's this other guy's name that's coming up that that whatever it is and then maybe they'll come up with an Arizona indictment. Mm. That's a good Would point. it surprise you? Are they just trying to make it so he can't travel to any state <laughs> without being arrested? Well, the thing is, you know, and uh, we did believe it or not have some more groundbreaking news come out about the Biden crime family just as you know late as yesterday. So. James Comer, uh, okay, let's take it back a little bit. We all know from last year when Tucker Carlson was still on Fox News, after the a lot of the contents of the Hunter Biden laptop had become public, mm-hmm. there were screenshots of you know from Hunter Biden's iCloud that showed when Hunter Biden talked to his family about Joe Biden, his nickname for him was Pedo Peter. Right. That's awkward. And one of the things that Tucker Carlson said, like, I don't understand how someone who's been alleged to be a pedophile is referred to as Pedo Peter when family members are talking about him. But now... One of the pseudonyms he uses. Thank you, because I didn't want to pronounce it, was Robert L. Peters. As far as one of the, you know, peoples who were being Mm. represented through the shell companies. Is Robert? No, it's Bob. Mm Mm-hmm. Richard, so Robert Stick. L. Richard Peters, Stick. is that even a real person? No, it's a it's a fake name that Joe Biden used to, uh, you know, sit on as the head of fake LLCs and shell companies. It'd be it'd be better if it was Richard Peters. That would be Dick Peters. Yeah, but I mean, I mean when, so th- if it's Robert L. Peters and the nickname for it is Pedo Peters. Oh wait, no, Bob Peter. Mm. Bob Peter. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> it's. Neil and Bob. All right. Hey, we we get a little loose on our friend. You are a nasty person. There we go. Perfect. That's why we have these buttons on the board. (laughs) But, but you know, here's the thing. What happens? This comes out yesterday and you know, now all they're talking about uh, on, in all the mainstream media is what day of the week is Donald Trump going to go and get arrested in a rain next week. And you know, it's just one of those things where we're going to continue to, you know, go through the motions here every time something comes up. And, and listen, we're still at the very beginning stages of, of everything going on right now uh, regarding these investigations into the Biden crime family. So there's not much, you know, you could say as far as like the investigative process goes, uh, getting towards consequences anytime soon. It's so funny that Joe Biden and Donald Trump are awarded special counsels in the same week, both for document cases and Donald Trump's is already being forced to court and Joe Biden's, you've heard nothing about it. In addition to that, you know, we're just, what, over the five-year threshold that they've in, in, in done a huge investigation into Hunter Biden's tax fraud 
and fair violations, and even though they're clearly defined and outlined in everywhere you could find them from bank records to physical receipts to times that the American taxpayers incurred the price while he's flying on Air Force Two with his data all over the place, nothing. He got awarded a special counsel, which doesn't prevent but stymies the investigation that the Republican House is trying to do into the Biden crime family because now he's got a special counsel be protecting him. And it's the same guy who sat there and let the sweetheart deal just go, you know, unchallenged special, until it got to court. Isn't a special counsel supposed to be somebody completely on the outside of everything that's going on, not some fucking asshole that has like a vendetta against the guy? Or a U.S. attorney that's going to remain a U.S. attorney for a state while he's a special counsel? Yeah, what? There's a lot of that going on, though. It's like, oh, Newsom's allowed to stay governor while he runs for president. What was Kamala Harris was allowed to... Uh, remain senator. Remain senator while she was... Blowing everybody? I think speaking. you're allowed to do both. She did it, that. Do not come. <laughs> do not come. Oh, I'm going to come. Speaking of... Do oh, uh, you have that button? Damn! Here we go. Oh, I thought you had the actual button of Trump saying it. Um... Kamala Harris, I saw something was it this morning or late last night that maybe a strategy, because if you saw Diane Feinstein, uh, her daughter is now claiming she's a victim of elder abuse. She barely can get out of her own way. I think they're going to segue her out very, very soon and try to find if Biden is going to end up being the nominee for the Democrats, that they're going to find him a stronger candidate and segue Kamala back to California to replace and be appointed senator in Feinstein's uh, spot. I read something about that this morning. I just well, don't remember where it was. When you said that, I just imagined Diane Feinstein trying to ride one of those little wheelie Segway things and just crashing <laughs> oh and burning. God. Well, you know, I've always said, too, that that's a very good, uh, you know, way to look at it. I said, you know, you could always do the Biden out and then bait and switch with her and Newsom. She goes and runs for the governorship in California just because it's completely mm. filled with retards. She would win and, and he'd be able to be the Democrat nominee and challenge uh, Donald Trump on the Republican side. I saw John Solomon was uh, talking about this stuff yesterday, the new documents and, and what was going on with Joe Biden, the stuff that House Republicans are trying to you know, leak out to the press. But before we hear that, I want to remind everybody to where you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please subscribe to the show. Subscribe to the show and download it. Uh, it helps us out in the algorithms. We've been doing great as far as downloads go, but uh, your continued listenership and, and followership is greatly appreciated. And then across all social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, hit the follow button and the notification bell. It doesn't really matter on Instagram right now. Uh, if you saw our story today, which you probably haven't since our engagements are last week, three-quarters of a million. Is that good? Today, 80,000. Yep, everybody's like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> yep. And meanwhile, we're doing like collab posts and getting yep. our content shared on there more than we ever have before. This is on what platform? Instagram. Yeah. It, I don't know. It's it's just, it is what it is. So, again, getting back into this, John Solomon was on Boomer Sweats last night. He was talking about the newest revelations into the Biden crime family. Let's hear it. Hunter, why would Joe share with Hunter a speech given before the Ukrainian uh, parliament by his father uh, five days after Joe Biden got on a, a call when Hunter was in Dubai with Burisma executives? Uh, what did Hunter do for the money? What did the grandchildren do for the money? Do we have any specific details of, of what helped earn them millions of dollars? Well, 
Devin Archer is very clear why Hunter Biden was being paid by Burisma. It was to buy them protection. The brand was going to make it so that no one would mess with them. That's what Devin Archer said. They were buying protection from Victor Shokin. And when Victor Shokin, the prosecutor, didn't follow the plan, he started to escalate the investigation. That's when things got sticky. And I think next week we'll be able to make public a lot of new emails. You're going to see what happened. Did Joe Biden really carry out U.S. policy or did he change U.S. policy when he fired Shokin? We're going to give you that answer next week. We've got a lot of new documents. We're putting them together. New timeline. These are going to be brand new documents that were kept from President Trump's impeachment and from the uh, Congress in the multiple investigations, including James Comer. James Comer still doesn't have these documents today. It's remarkable. I think I have a pretty good idea where you're headed, John. In other words, uh, it's it's going to be all blown up the whole big lie about this money being withheld for one reason. And I expect another reason will be proven. Is that a fair guess? I think you got a very good guess. Hmm? So not even the House Republicans have these documents. You can't say enough about the job that John Solomon does. He walked away from a very lucrative position and a good job at the Hill, uh, kind of stuck with his convictions and, and went on to start just the news. And I think he does a really good job from, you know, he blew the lid off a lot of stuff with COVID. He's done some great work uh, on and around the U.S. southern border. And then when you're talking about this stuff right now that's going on with Joe Biden and his family, it seems like, for as aggressive as some of the leadership in House Republicans have been at trying to, you know, pull the curtain back and show everybody what's been going on with Joe Biden and his family for the last couple of decades, John Solomon's been able to outpace them and the work that he's done. What do you think, Alan? He, he does a great job, huh? Unbelievable. I think out of everybody, and he doesn't get enough credit or enough notoriety because unless you're in it every day like you guys and myself and others, a lot of people don't know who John Solomon is. It, 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 he does, you know, he has a large presence, but I, he's not uh, among those mainstream names, even people like, uh, you know, uh, Greg Kelly or, or Grant Stinchfield. Sure. But I believe he he shadow overshadows all of them in, in the work that he does. Truthfully. Yeah. No, he does. I, you know, I talked to uh, the lady who does his scheduling yesterday. It looks like he's going to be joining us again in September. He's been with us a couple times and he's had a really good time when he's come on with us. So yeah, it's a bold move to go from like a safe, secure position to go out on your own like that yeah start your own company and and media outlet and and be doing as a successful job as he does i mean he always gets all of the top congressmen and women to go on his shows including senators he's got governors on all the time and uh he's always invited on he was frequently on tucker carlson he's always on sean hannity and laura ingram now so it's it's good to see him doing well in the work he's doing uh, he talked about Jamie Comer. He would follow him on Boomer Sweats last night. I want to give a little bit of snippet right before we jump in with the RNC chairwoman on what they were talking about in regards to these investigations and where they're going as early as next week. Let's check it out. That money was paid. Did that happen, sir? Yes, sir. And see, you, you look at that 1023 form that alleged the bribery. It's consistent with what we've seen in Romania. It's consistent with the timeline that you and John Solomon have documented on your show tonight. And I believe that one reason that Hunter was CC'd on those emails where Joe Biden was using a fake name is so Hunter could prove to the Ukrainian oligarch, look, help is on the way. Because we heard from Devin Archer say that uh, the the owners of Burisma were squeezing Hunter Biden saying, we need help from Washington. Now, who do you think they were referring to when they were talking to Hunter Biden, who they said was dumber than their dogs, who was a drug addict, who had no experience, that we need help from Washington? Who do you think they were talking about? And here we see now evidence that shows Joe Biden 
didn't have a wall between the government and his son's shady business dealings. He was copying him on foreign policy to let him know ahead of time, help is on the way, we're going to go in there and we're going to fire that prosecutor who's trying to bust you for corruption, son. And we're looking at a president of the United States who's now being investigated by your committee for allegations of bribery and money laundering. So that's the thing, the connectivity tissue between what was going on you know, Joe Biden always says, I, I was never a part, I didn't know about, I had nothing to do with any of my son's international business dealings. He had this alias that he was using, Pedo Peter, Robert L. Peters, and especially, essentially was using that through, remember, it's already been confirmed that Joe Biden as a senator and a vice president had burner phones. Now we're seeing he's using this alias in emails. So Hunter and Devin Archer and anyone else, maybe even Tony Bobolinsky, when he was, you know, part of that whole operation going on, were able to freely CC Joe Biden under that name. And you would never know it was Joe Biden unless you did a very thorough investigation into it. So that's kind of where it's at. No one in the mainstream press is really talking about the investigation into the Biden scandal. And I know a lot of it has to do with Congress being out, but I definitely think at the end of the day, and hopefully after the next election when Joe Biden loses, this is going to turn out to be one of the biggest scandals in American history. And it's going to be a huge black eye on the office of the vice president that, uh, you know, it's going to take a long time to, for that shiner to heal. So we're getting ready to jump in with Ronna McDaniel right now, sitting down with her for the first time. But before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Stay for Breakfast podcast. She is the GOP chairwoman. Long time coming. Finally glad to be hosting Miss Ronna McDaniel. Madam Chairwoman, thanks for joining us on the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, we want to talk to you about a bunch of stuff, but uh, I think one of the biggest things that you guys have been working on over at the uh, RNC is the Bank Your Vote initiative. We were very pleased to hear uh, when you guys proposed it. We'd like to see some of the amazing congressmen and women you have working on it with you guys in a bunch of different states. And I wanted you to tell our listenership a little bit about it and, and how important it is heading into the uh, primary season right now. This is critical if we're going to take back the White House and win the Senate and hold the House in 2024. Go to bankyourvote.com. And what this initiative is, is state by state. We are going to actively work with our voters to get them to bank their votes early so that they can go work to help get new votes in that will help us succeed. And uh, this is going to be something we've, we, we've launched. We're going to launch nationwide. We've launched it in Wisconsin. We just launched it last week in California with Speaker McCarthy. Uh, but it makes common sense that we don't want the Democrats to get a head start and think that we're going to get our entire vote in on Election Day. If we have 45 days of voting, we need to be utilizing all 45 days. And the best analogy I can give is if you're playing a football game, you don't want to start scoring only in the fourth quarter. So we need to be scoring in those three other quarters. And a big part of this is protecting the vote with our robust poll watching, poll worker, 
and legal plan that we have deployed in the battleground states as well. You know, I want you to just stress how important it is that something like you know, there's so many people out there in the in the conservative space who, you know, want to make allegations that the RNC doesn't do enough or has even done nothing since the 2020 presidential election. And, and I think this is a crucial component to eventually having uh, a, a lot more successful turnout. Uh, I see people from like Byron Donalds, you'd mentioned Speaker McCarthy, even Donald Trump had done a video about it that he released uh you know, as part of his campaign, encouraging people to not only register, but make sure that their vote is cast, counted, and eventually heard. And I think, I just want you to elaborate a little bit more. You know, you talked about not scoring until the fourth quarter. When you're talking about changing things and, and trying to combat with the Democrats who have so much money and, and so much invested into the overall bigness of what the election season is like you know they've turned it into a season uh this is one of the ways that you guys have really decided that you're going to fight back absolutely i think democrats invest in process they don't really care who the candidate is they're just going to plug them in where we have to as a party and the rnc's been doing this listen in 2022 uh, we turned out four million more voters than the democrats and in every battleground state except pennsylvania we won statewide and we would have won the electoral college so in states like California, where we're doing ballot collection and Nevada and Montana, we just have to take that and, and put it on steroids. We have to continually be expanding our get out the vote uh, mechanics and our infrastructure because the Democrats never, ever take their foot off the gas. And this is what the RNC is so pivotal at doing. I will say this, too, is when we saw laws change in California to allow expansive ballot harvesting and we lost key races in 2018, we revamped and we picked up four seats in California in 2020 and a fifth in 2022. And a lot of it was done through ballot harvesting and ballot collection. But it's it's important that our voters understand this too, because when we get those votes banked early, then it gives us more money to seek new votes for election day. And it, t it gives, it allows our resources to go further. And that's really critical. I think that's a good point you made as well. You see a lot of these polls coming out as the 2024 GOP primary is starting to shape up. And, you know, one of the biggest uh, factors that a lot of people don't ever consider is the undecided or independent voters. They always show them in negative polls, you know, of a prospective GOP candidate or Joe Biden, as he currently sits as the president, you know, with the undecideds and independents. But those people that you guys, uh, you know, are going to cater to and, and bring into our tent, I think over the course of the election season, when you're already doing stuff to make sure that people that vote historically and, and you know, in every election are banking their vote and getting out there early, it makes it a lot easier to be having other people come in on election day, hopefully for Republican candidates across the country. Madam Chair, when I do want to segue here and, and, and talk about the 2024 field starting to shape up, I believe we had our ninth person qualify for the first GOP debate, which is next week. And I just wanted you to, uh, you know, as someone who kind of sits at the top and, and looks down as the field starting to take shape, how do you see this field shaping up before we talk about the debate? Yeah, you know, it, we put some criteria out for the debate stage, and I've been very clear, you know, we don't want the debate stage to be a, a mechanism for book deals or media contracts or cabinet positions. If you're not a candidate that can garner the support of 40,000 uh, Americans in a small dollar donation, and if you can't pull at at least 1% in three national polls, then you're probably not a viable candidate for president. So we put that criteria out early on, and I think we're at nine candidates now that have met that threshold. I think there's 
a ninth that's on the the border of making it. But I think it's going to make them better candidates and put them in a in a position to be successful against Joe Biden. And I'd say the final part is we need to make sure that we're committed to the final goal, which is beating Joe Biden. When we see 100,000 people die of fentanyl in this country, when we see an open border, when we see our children uh, dealing with major deficits from classrooms that were shut down from the pandemic and Democrats continuing to turn their back on something as simple as school choice, when we see inflation, when we see all the things that are happening under the failures of Joe Biden, we have to understand that if we do do not unite behind whomever the nominee is, we're not going to win. And uh, that's going to be critical to winning in 2024 and beating Joe Biden. Yeah, it's definitely good to have some stipulations, especially the, you know, in, uh, individual voters. I think that's huge. And then the 1% nationally in several polls. I think that also reflects that your candidacy is legitimate. Now, I want you to kind of tell our listenership how the unity pledge is not uh, the RNC bending the knee to places like Fox News. I, I've heard that and, and seen a couple of pundits kind of weigh in that way. I mean, I get it when you talk about all of the horses in the race and, uh, you know, how well some of them are doing and some aren't. But, I mean, when you have people from, like, Donald Trump at the top and then Chris Christie towards the bottom right now, even though he's, you know, polling second in New Hampshire at the moment, both saying that they're reluctant to sign the the RNC pledge to unite behind the candidate, uh, you know, it's not at the behest of, like, the corporate media. No. No, not at all. I mean, this is something that's been in place for the RNC. This is the second election. It was in place in 2016. And I think it's kind of a no-brainer, which is when you talk to grassroots voters and you say, hey, don't you think that whoever's on the debate stage should support the eventual nominee to beat Biden? We call it the Beat Biden Pledge. They say yes. And more than anything, some of the frustration I feel coming out of 2022 in races like Arizona, where Carrie Lake lost, a lot of Republicans refused to support her as the nominee. Um, the person who she was running against refused to endorse her. And, and she lost by a very small margin. And it was actually Republicans re- refusing to support her that cost that governorship. Same with Herschel. I was knocking doors in Georgia of, of four or four Republican voters who refused to support him. And so we have to understand as a party that when we fight each other, nobody's loving it more than the Democrats. But also, we cannot win, period, exclamation part, point. We cannot win not without every single Republican supporting our candidate and then plus some independents. Um, so I'm saying this up front because it's good business that we should all be supporting the eventual nominee. And in the end, it's supporting the voters. The voters are the ones who are making the choice, not the RNC. The voters of Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, and we should have enough faith and trust in our grassroots and our voters to select the best person to beat Joe Biden. I can't disagree with you there. Now, as you're getting ready to have the first debate in Milwaukee next week, what do you expect to see on the debate stage? There's a lot of candidates who bring robust resumes uh, heading into this first debate. You know, you've got sitting senators, former senators, governors, uh, people that have been ambassadors for the United States, uh, some of the most successful entrepreneurs, uh, you know, in, in the modern era, and, and they're all going to be bringing their pitch. The thing that, that we haven't seen as much of is policy platform. Uh, I don't necessarily know why a lot of the candidates aren't, you know, preparing to speak uh, more precisely about what they plan to bring to the table. It's good to say keywords like secure the border, reduce crime, bring down inflation, etc., but do you expect uh, the moderators, at least, to hold them to task and finally start getting some policy-driven points out of the people once they get on the debate stage? 
I hope so. I, I think the American people are hungering to hear how we're going to get out of this disaster. I think they want to see gas prices lower. We want to see how we're going to get our kids back on track who've been left behind. We want to make sure that we're stemming the flow of fentanyl that's coming through our southern border. We want to see our communities be safer. Uh, we want to make sure that parents are given a say in what's happening in our ch children's classroom. So I want it to be about policy. I hope the candidates don't fall for any, you know, raise your hand, quick question. We've got too many important issues uh, to, to narrow down to a hand raise. And I think they need to hold the, the moderators accountable and don't fall for those types of things. But, uh, you know, it's a short period of time when you have nine candidates and 90 minutes. And I really want to make sure that the American people are, are hearing our policies and our platform to beat Joe Biden. And I will say this. This isn't the primary beginning next Wednesday. This is the general. Everything needs to be about Joe Biden. I hope we're not hitting each other so much that we lose sight of the goal, which is a president who is a disaster for this country that has made life harder for every single American. Americans or families right now have taken home $10,000 less. We're paying $2,000 more in energy costs, $700 more a month in expenses. This is untenable. And we need to remember what we're up against and who we are actually trying to beat. Oh, that's a great point you make. And it brings me into my last point that I want to touch on with you. I think it's a really important one. So there's a lot of people also who are, you know, armchair quarterbacking the debate before it even happens now, saying that they're going to try and make this whole thing about Donald Trump, still unsure on whether or not he's going to participate. It made it sound like he, he wasn't going to on Truth Social yesterday. Some of that has to do with him showing up in, in Fulton County to be arraigned in, well, in state court next week. But the fact of the matter is this. Do you expect Donald Trump to be at the debates, including the one that's about to happen next week and, and all of the rest of them moving forward. And how important is it for everyone that's in the field right now to be participating in that as long as they qualify? I, you know, I've been very vocal and I've talked to president Trump and met with him. I, I really want him to be part of the debate. I don't know if he will. I know he's got campaign advisors who are saying don't do it. Uh, and they've given a whole host of reasons, which is, you know, the, the pretty significant lead he has in the polls. My point is, and I keep saying this, is this isn't just about the primary. This is about the general. And whomever ends up being our nominee, that election is starting today or, or next Wednesday when we are contrasting our party versus Joe Biden. So I hope he's on the stage. I hope they're all on the stage. But I, I also think that conversation with the independent voters and the American people needs to start because we do have a legacy media that tilts towards Joe Biden. Yep. So any opportunity we have to take up oxygen and talk about what we stand for uh, is, is earned. It's not free and we need to take it. Listen, for entertainment purposes only, we hope he's there. Uh, but uh, the, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, th there's a lot of stuff going on, whether it's the moderators, whether it's the lawfare. The th last thing I want to touch with you on, uh, Ron, I, I think this is equally as important. So in the primary right now, and I know it's early, but, you know, you said we're segueing to focus on the general election as soon as these debates starts, which is next week now. Uh, Donald Trump is faring very well in, in early polling, first five states, all the way up through states that are going to be voting on Super Tuesday. And... I just want to know the commitment level. You know, the unity pledge should go both ways. I've heard on other programs, other moderators, pundits, podcast hosts try to push you on. There being some Never Trump components still associated with, working with, you know, uh, nationwide campaign strategies and at the RNC. 
if Donald Trump is to make this the three-peat and become the Republican nominee next year, is the RNC going to 100% in every way, shape, and form back him? I mean, there's already the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post saying that, like, blue states should remove him from the ballot in the general election. There's already a whole bunch of people, governors and such, in red states who are saying that, like, he should get out of the race and focus on his legal things. I mean, obviously, anyone who sees how this is kind of shaping up is seeing this as meant, especially with the court dates and how they're being set, you know, a day before the Iowa caucuses, four days for Super Tuesday. Is the RNC willing, ready, and able to 100% back Donald Trump if he's the nominee again? Yeah, we'll be supporting 100% Donald Trump if he's the nominee again, just like we'd support any of these states if they're the nominee again. I mean, uh, part of the bylaws of the RNC are if you cannot support the the nominee, you are removed from the RNC. Okay, so you you should not be the RNC chair if you can support cannot support the nominee. Obviously, I've known Donald Trump for a long time. He chose me to be his RNC chair when he took the White House. Um, now I'm in a different position. I have to be neutral during these primaries, but whomever the voters choose, Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, Vivek, I, I don't, I want to say them all, Mike Pence, Tim Scott, Suarez, uh, Christy, anybody who the voters choose, we're going to be supporting as the nominee of our party. I know I miss somebody and I'm going to get a call from them because you can't miss any of the names. <sighs> It was, it was Ron DeSantis. You missed Ron, you missed Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ron DeSantis. Hey, listen, they, they've, been, they've been having a bad couple weeks. You know, they're going to reboot it again sometime. We'll see what happens with them. But, you know, no, Ron, this has been good sitting down and talk with you. I, I like to clear the air. A lot of people, when, we haven't really told very many people that you were coming on because we don't want to catch flack. But here's the thing. We need to talk to the people who are trying to make sure that next year there is no excuses. We're going to take back the White House. The odds in the Senate with how many seats the Democrats have to defend is almost an insurmountable lead and an opportunity for the Republicans to take back the Senate. And then, you know, you got the Speaker of the House, who's the biggest moneymaker in the history of Republican politics. That's Kevin McCarthy. If he can't hold his majority with, you know, a Republican at the top of a ticket in a presidential election year, then, well, I guess we're all going to have to go back to the drawing board. But things look really good heading into the, the throngs of this primary season and getting ready for the general right now. And it's been great sitting down with you today. We are going to live link the RNC and bank your vote in the show description. But for anybody that's not following you on social media. Uh, it's GOP chairwoman, I think. It's on X. I guess it's not Twitter anymore. Mm. And uh, I think it's Ronna McDaniel on Facebook. I don't know. I'm, I'm bad. And I don't have an Instagram. My daughter, my kids think I'm lame that I don't have a public Instagram. I have a private one, but probably, maybe one day. You're probably better off without it. Madam Chairwoman, <laughs> will you be back on Steak for Breakfast? I will. I was saying, I'm like, in the Midwest, we do breakfast for dinner. So I do waffles for dinner a whole bunch. But I, I, I haven't done steak for breakfast. I may have to try that. And now you're you're part of the squad. This is the RNC chairwoman. Really great sitting down with Ron McDaniel today. Ron, have a great weekend. Thanks for having me, guys. Try an experiment. We've actually got some charts and graphs to show the right. points that you've been making. So to your point, the CPI overall, the level is up 17 percent yeah now 30 months into it biden's inflation rate 7.4 percent at an annual rate yours less than two percent 1.9 percent it's actually a perfect number too you unbelievable know, you, you're a student of inflation yeah. right you know how inflation but literally two percent is the perfect number they actually don't want it to be zero yeah they wanted to be 2%, and we hit 2%, if you think, 1.9%. And by the way, I love your commentary, but look at this. Grocery prices, food at home, the level is up 20%. 
under your administration, 2%. Again, and then finally on gasoline, uh, Biden's back to 387. That's this yeah, week. Going up. Yours was around $2 a gallon, right. actually. That's right. This is the stuff that's driving people crazy. Let's go to the second one. Okay. He says he's created um, 13 million new jobs. Nobody can find it. Yeah. Okay. 2.1 million. You had 4.9 million. That's right. He says he's created 800,000 manufacturing jobs. Uh, no one can find them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's maybe recovery from COVID, but that's all. You had more than twice as many. And then the other thing in terms of people hurting and living uh, paycheck to paycheck, the mortgage rate has jumped from 2.65 percent to seven and a half percent, 751. That is killing people. And I don't know that anyone's interviewed a president before and done all these numbers, but, you know, I know you like to do the numbers. And this is the story. There was a Trump boom and there's a Bidenomics bust. So that was President Trump. He invited Larry Kudrow this week up to Bedminster and they had an exclusive one on one interview. Sleepy Larry, as we call him on the show, a determinative endearment not to make fun of him. Um, you know, and before we get into this, no, I want to ask your honest opinion. Uh, so we just interviewed the RNC chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel, for the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, there's very few people in Republican politics, even less people in America First, that feel like they're happy or satisfied with the job she's done uh, up until this point. You know, after Donald Trump's first election, it seems like we've incurred a lot of L's. But getting her on the show for the first time and talking to her without having to verbally beat the shit out of her, like, what'd you think? Yeah, it was solid. I mean, she answered the questions of, you know, what I, I would assume would be honestly. And the last one you asked her was good to know that they're going to fully support Donald Trump if he is actually the nominee. And fire him if the never-Trump Republicans that work within not the fire apparatus. Him, not fire him, but fire the people who won't. I said apparatus twice. <laughs> no, but, but here's the thing. Listen, all you could do is believe her when she talks. And if you we see that the otherwise happens at some point down the road, then... What happened? She was untruthful about it. Um, I thought it was hilarious that she could name every candidate that was running in the Republican primary right now, including Mayor Suarez, but forgot to mention Ron DeSantis. That was amazing. I thought that was on purpose. Maybe it was. <laughs> They're having a tough day over there. It's always a tough day down in, in Tallahassee. Well, they live in Iowa now. They practically live in Iowa now, really? is what they say. Yeah. So, but Donald Trump, Larry Kudrow... Got down to talk some policy points. Obviously, the economy, the Trump boom is what they're calling it as part of Agenda 47. That's what's going to be combating Bidenomics. Listen, when you line up those top three numbers, the CPI, the mortgage rates, and whatever the other one was, head-to-head, -head, Donald Trump's were at historic lows. Joe Biden has them at historic highs. I'm surprised Larry didn't run with the forecasted uh, mortgage rate for September that's coming down the pike right now because a lot of people who work in the housing market are saying that 7.51% is going to jump over 8 uh, as we head into the fall. and we're I missed the boat. Yeah, we certainly did. Fuck. Yeah, I wanted to uh, upgrade, and now I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't force my enemies to buy a house right now. Yeah, it doesn't no. matter because if you buy a house now, it's like you might as well just be back in the, what, 2008 time period? Mm -hmm. Fucking ridiculous pricing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I thought the uh, there was a couple good points in the interview. We're also going to – the Trump team has been putting out a lot of those video messages, actually some pretty good ones this week. Uh, they're starting to get better, and I think by the end Noah's going to appreciate some of the videography improvements that they've made in uh, distributing them. So 
everybody knows Joe Biden's crazy. We we played a fairly decent montage to kick off our show today where he talked about daddy's got ice cream for the kids and he's not going to comment on Hawaii because he doesn't know what to say without somebody telling him to say it. And even when they tell him to say it, he's going to read essentially please clap on the teleprompter before he excuses himself from the event. So they started hitting Joe Biden going back and forth on this yesterday. Uh, you know, we all know he's crazy, but we're going to hear it right now. Harry, you watch him. He can't put two sentences together. He doesn't know where he is. He can't walk up a flight of stairs, let alone down a flight of stairs. And you look at this guy. We have the most corrupt president in the history of our country. And we have the most incompetent, simultaneously the most incompetent president. And what he's doing to this country, millions and millions of people are pouring into our country. Look at New York City. Look at Chicago. Look at these cities. What's happening to them with hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens coming into and sleeping on Madison Avenue and sleeping in Central Park. And nobody's ever seen anything like this. And by the way, they're coming out of prisons. They're coming out of mental institutions and they're terrorists a lot of them. And this is going to be a problem for this country for a long time. No lies detected. I do like that he clarified that Joe Biden can't walk up or downstairs. And uh, he should have hit him on him going up the little stairs, which is where I would have went with it. But, uh, you know, that was just the lead-in because what they were getting to the point on was, and it's going to be the last clip we're going to hear when, when Trump sat down with Larry, was that there's a lot of shit going on in the world right now that is not very good for America's standing on any continent, including our own. When you have Russia and China parking battleships off the coastline of Alaska, when you have uh, more... U.S. embassies being evacuated in places like South Africa and Niger. Uh, we just celebrated Joe Biden's historic fucking failure of a withdrawal from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we've all heard the testimony from those parents on the accommodations that were made or lack thereof regarding, you know, the men and women that came home in body bags and all of the people who have been horribly disfigured and scarred for life from that event. We are inching towards World War III. Guess what? The first shipment of F-16s are on its way over to Ukraine today. I thought we weren't going to do that. Well, that would... Amongst be, other things. I no, that's not, happening. I'm not going to do that because that kick off a, World War III. And that's a war crime. And mm, Not anymore. It's fucking hell. Can I get some sprinkles on that? <laughs> on the F-16s? Well, yeah, that too. Is that so, the new uh, fucking ice cream store camouflage? Pink sprinkles. We need the ice cream. How is it not an? How is it not an act of war now at this point? I mean, it should have. You know, it's already there. There have been, but it's an act of war F- to everybody that's involved except us, apparently. F-16s now. Yeah, I mean, how many more Russian soldiers are going to die at the behest of U.S. weaponry uh, before Vladimir Putin's like? I know you guys don't have troops on the ground. Well, I know you guys don't have a lot of troops on the ground. Mm. But this is getting a little ridiculous. I mean, listen, gas prices in Southern California, where we're at, and Allen's in, in New York. So we. What are they right now, where you are, Ron? Five and a half. Okay, so ours went up a decent amount, and they're almost $4 a gallon. Oof. On Sunday, when I left Bedminster and I had, I'm driving a couple miles and I realized I needed gas, so I, I got off um, the highway and found this little Exxon station. And obviously, you know, gas in Jersey is always, always uh, full serve. Mm-hmm. You can't pump your own gas. And it was um, regular gas. It was five sixty nine for regular a gallon. In New Jersey, which 
is always historically cheaper yep. by a decent amount than New York. Yeah. Five sixty nine in Jersey. Yeah. I, I, I mean, couldn't even believe it. It, it. It's not good times. And we are stumbling towards World War Three. Will we be able to hold it off until after the general election next year? No one knows. But Donald Trump was talking about that and the Make America Great movement again. Let's hear it. Is in these points because everyone else interviewing you doesn't want to raise these points. So there he goes again. There's not a single comma of fact in that. But I wanted you to comment on what he's saying. Well, first of all, it's amazing because you watch him. You don't even think he's going to get through the sentence. You know, the <laughs> stopping and the halting and there's something going on over there. But this guy is advising us. He's the one negotiating with other countries and you know we're going to end up in a world war so beyond taxes i'm talking about we have a man that's grossly incompetent we're going to end up in a world war the way he's going to end up in world war three which is going to be a nuclear war uh he doesn't understand what maga means if you asked him right now to define maga or to say what maga is he would not be able to say make america great again He's always saying MAGA, those MAGA people. But if you would say, what does MAGA stand for? He wouldn't know. He wouldn't be able to tell you that. But you know, it's called Make America Great Again. And right now, again, is probably you have to use it because we don't have a great country. We have a country that's a laughing stock all over the world. We have a president who can't properly represent us. He goes to meetings in foreign countries and he makes a fool out of himself. He's or a fool. <laughs> and I can just imagine President Xi... Uh, all of these these leaders that I've gotten to know so well, Macron, they're laughing at this whole situation. Nobody can believe it. And this is what we have. We're stuck with it. It's the truth. I thought he was saying they're laughing at this. Asshole. They certainly are. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's just where we're at right now. We, we need to uh, just kind of figure out. Listen, again, and, and we, we're going to talk about it. I want to touch on it with Roger Stone. I really didn't get a chance to bring up polls with Ron and McDaniel, but, you know, there's a couple polls that have come out, larger sample sizes from Uber establishment. And again, for anyone who's listening today, whatever podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, please subscribe to the show. We're starting to make a little noise. We plan on making a whole bunch more. Also on our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast podcast accounts and hit the notification bell. You'll thank us later at a later date, at a date yet to be determined. But you better thank us. So we we ding people here and there on social media. We mention them on the show when they really suck at talking points. Uh, one of the ones that we always proprietate on the show is, and I think it's a huge realistic way to look at things, playing fake primary. Like, I get it. There's a lot of well-qualified, extremely experienced people who are running for president of the United States on the Republican side in 2024. Full stop. None of them are America first. Most of them hate what Donald Trump did when he was in the White House. And everyone except the extreme outsiders, I'm talking Perry Johnson, Mayor Suarez, and Vivek Ramaswamy, at some point during their service to the United States during the Trump administration worked directly against America first. When these people and the ones that host them, whether it's cable news show or bigger time podcasts, start talking about poll numbers and what the general election looks like and starts playing fear fair with America first. The only thing you're doing 
is making the dunk that's going to happen on whatever horse you got in this race. We all know a lot of people have it as Ron DeSantis. We see at least Fox News starting to push Tim Scott in to replace him or Vivek. The posterization is going to be worse. It's going to be Michael Jordan from the free throw line times a million. It, it is. Because you're only doing a disservice to the eventual general election voters. You're doing nothing to help moderates. You're doing nothing to help uh, independents, walkaways, casual Democrats. And what I have to say is to these people, fucking shame on you guys. Yeah. For th- Listen, we understand that you've worked inside the Beltway for a long time. We understand that you either have big shows or programs and... Money might not be as much of a factor to you as it is to the regular, hardworking, blue-collar, middle-class people in this country, the Rust Belt, the Blue Wall states, etc. But the fact of the matter is, to push narratives that someone like Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or, God for fucking bid, Chris Christie (laughs) would ever do a better job than someone like Donald Trump and be able to go home and look at... You guys must have no mirrors in your fucking houses. How do you say that and go home and look at yourself? I don't get it. Like, I do get the fact that you want to run everybody through. You want to let everybody's voice hear. But just go back and look at the receipts. And then you want to talk about the damage level of Donald Trump and that how he's a bull in a china shop and sometimes you don't like the way he says and act. Why do you think he fucking acts that way? Mm-hmm. All right, You guys act like being criminally indicted four times in four different states and being ran through two impeachment processes for literally nothing was normal and that he should get over it. And then the last thing, talking about the 2020 presidential election. Again, when you just look at Zuckerbucks, the Time Magazine article, the weaponized social media collusion with big tech and Capitol Hill, the 51 former intelligence officials and things of that nature. We're not talking about servers. We're not talking about stuff in boxes. We're talking about the way that the constitution of certain states were illegally changed heading into the general election. How is the system not fucking rigged against this guy? And what do you think he should just take it in stride and move on to this election cycle? Like, oh yeah, I'm so happy that I lost the last election because Joe Biden got 81 million votes and I didn't. (laughs) Saying the 2020 presidential election is not an issue You may have some truth in there, but listen, if you don't go over how we got to this point and how fucked up this country right now is, and I really can't stand the fact that some of these people go out there and on a weekly or nightly or daily basis talk about shit that has nothing to do with anything and then talk about how awesome Nikki Haley or Chris Christie or Doug Burgum or anyone else has a fucking chance to save this country, you're doing yourself a big disservice. And the big thing is... For all the people that blindly follow you as, like, minions in this whole thing, you're doing a really big disservice to them because they're the one working two jobs. They're the ones that aren't able to provide for their kids, and they're the ones that can't get the job done at home when we're in the greatest election cycle right now of our lifetimes. So I, I just wanted to point that out there as we're getting ready to segue into some Trump campaign-related videos. I think Chris Christie has uh, single-handedly brought some nacho cheese companies out of, uh, out of debt. Just imagine putting Mike Pence on a show like this and, like, ha- trying to have a normal conversation with you. Uh, awful. Or, or a normal conversation with me. Like, wh- what do you ask him? All right, let's talk about your uh, campaign platform after you completely fucked over everybody because you just couldn't. Listen, nobody asked Mike Pence to overturn the fucking election. Right. Mike Pence just didn't do the job he, he could have done. It's already happened before. Two different other elections 
And for every single person that says 2020 is like a moot point when it comes into the general election cycle against Joe Biden, go back and watch the highlight reels of all the fucking retards in Congress on both sides of the aisle for the last hundred plus years who have said, I don't think this person legitimately won this election and therefore I'm going to push for every way possible to delegitimize them. If I can't get it done, I'm just going to go on every talk show and podcast that'll take me and say that that person's an illegitimate president. And it's not just Donald Trump. So I think, you know, we got to get our asses in gear here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really understand the fact I, I have respect for the process, but when you look at the numbers and you try to say that it's not important of how much Donald Trump is running away with this primary and how his numbers will probably go up once he's arraigned next week, once he does Tucker Carlson instead of doing the first RNC event, well, I guess we could break that news now on the show. It's just been announced that Donald Trump's going to do counter-programming against the, the first GOP presidential debate and and do a sit down with tucker carlson it'll probably have 70 80 100 million views in 24 hours just like all the rest of his shows do and fox news will have you know two two to four million people (laughs) tune in gonna be amazing it is let's hear the 45th president i don't know if you guys heard this week we don't report on any news except donald trump's going to jail forever joe (laughs) biden's looking to uh do his version of the iran deal and is essentially going to pay a terrorist nation to get a couple U.S. bodies back. Let's hear it. Perfect. Crooked Joe Biden just agreed to pay a $6 billion ransom to the Iranian dictatorship in exchange for hostages. This is yet another Biden surrender and a further blistering humiliation of the United States of America to the world stage. But even worse, this decision will be extremely deadly. Biden is giving $6 billion to the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism. Just as when Obama sent the Iranian regime pallets of cash for hostages in the dark of night, remember, plane loads of cash, Biden's ransom payment will be immediately used to stoke violence, bloodshed, and mayhem throughout the Middle East and all around the world, costing countless innocent lives. It's also guaranteed that the fanatical Iranian regime will use this money to advance their nuclear weapons program, putting Israel, the United States, and the entire world in very grave peril. They are reportedly just weeks away from a nuclear bomb, something which would have never happened under the Trump administration. Tragically, Biden's ransom payments also make it dramatically more likely that even more Americans will be held captive in the future because Biden has shown that he will pay gargantuan sums of money. I like that. Meaning the kidnappers turn a massive profit. They're making money hand over fist. In other words, Biden has put a bounty on the head of every American citizen abroad. Yeah. Under my leadership, we brought home more than 50 hostages from all over the world, and we never paid ransom money to do it. Not at all. We did it with diplomacy, and we did it through strength. And we will do it again when we are reelected as President of the United States. Our country is failing. We are a failing nation. We will turn it around and we will make America great again. Thank you. Maybe you've heard of it. Mm. I mean, there's a reason why it's been a theme throughout our entire existence in movies and all the other stuff. We don't negotiate with terrorists. Yep. It's yeah. a fucking thing. And it's, there's a reason for it. It's like... You got some asshole in your neighborhood that plays his music too loud. Sure. And you're like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just pay $20 to turn your music down. 
So now he's just like, all right, well, fuck him. Tell all my friends we're all just going to play our music super loud, and then this guy's just going to come pay us every single weekend. Did you write the script for the first Venom movie? Is that what? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> now we have our end clip for the day, too. <laughs> Listen, here's the thing. The crown jewel of this regime that's currently in Washington, D.C. will be, if Iran legitimately produces a nuclear weapon. Uh, it's always days, weeks, and months to doing it, but until they go public with saying that they have it, it redefines all the rules of the Middle East, and this is happening under Joe Biden's watch. And, ha- and how do we make problems go away? We pay off the people that are causing them, and then they just continue to manipulate us more than they already were. Last clip of the segment, and we're so excited because we're getting Roger Stone keyed up right now. He's going to be joining us for the first time. Uh, you know, I'm pretty fired up today, and so is the rest of the gang here. I'm pretty sure he'll have a lot to talk about regarding some of these issues. But let's hear Donald Trump hit a home run on wanting these political witch hunts ended immediately. So now that I have full subpoena power because of the freedom of speech sham indictment by crooked <laughs> Joe Biden, deranged Jack Smith and the DOJ, it has just been reported that the unselect January 6th committee, they are unselect indeed, of political hacks and thugs, has illegally destroyed all of their records and their documents. So they took all of their records, all of their documents, they reported it, tried to get me indicted, and probably did, and then they destroyed everything. This is unthinkable, and the fake political indictment against me must be immediately withdrawn The system is rigged and corrupt, very much like the presidential election of 2020, and we have plenty of proof on that. We are a nation in decline, but we'll turn it around. We have no choice. Yeah, I kept a running tab on that clip right there. Five nicknames, four references that are nickname-related. Nine in 45 seconds. Who else can do that? Nobody. It's a master class every time he puts out one of those absolute heaters. So that was the week that was for President Trump. We're going to hear from him one more time. I think Noah's going to laugh when we play his poll numbers clip Mm. when we do presidential primary roundup in just a bit. But before we do that, we're going to be sitting down with Roger Stone. We're going to have a great conversation with him. Let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, T-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STAKE15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, very excited to be sitting down with this guy right here. He's a political icon, New York Times bestselling author, one of the greatest GOP operatives in the history of conservative politics. He's infamous. Today he's a friend. Mr. Roger Stone, welcome to Steak for Breakfast. Great to be with you guys. The pleasure's all ours. Sir, how's everything going with you? Why don't you let our listenership know the absolute latest that's going on with everyone's favorite political operative. Yeah, it's kind of never-ending. So uh, I'm now under attack from Ari Melber uh, at MSNBC and, of course, uh, Morning Joe Scarborough. Mm. You know, the guy who killed the intern, that guy. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's really quite extraordinary. So a, a video leaks where I correctly cite the constitutional and legal role of the state legislatures in the uh, certification of electors to the Electoral College. Simple matter of history and the Constitution. 
all covered in Article 2. Roger Stone plotted to see fake electors in rigged election. I never used any of those words. Uh, and uh, they, they, they hyped this with enormous fanfare. Exclusive video, incriminating, incriminating. What's criminal? What I said specifically was, although state officials in all 50 states must ultimately certify the results of the voting in their states, the final decision as to who the state legislatures authorized be sent to the Electoral College is a decision made solely by the legislatures. Any legislative body may decide on the basis of overwhelming evidence of fraud to send electors to the Electoral College who accurately refract and reflect the president's legitimate victory in their state uh, if it was illegally denied to him through fraud. We must be prepared to lobby our Republican legislatures uh, by personal contact and by demonstrating the overwhelming will of the people in their states in each this sta in the state if this needs to happen. Now, all of that is historically accurate. That is the role of the legislatures. Uh, and there's two precedents for this in 1800, the election of Thomas Jefferson. But then specifically in 1960, uh, it was thought that Richard Nixon, then vice president, carried the state of Hawaii. His election was actually certified. Uh, and then in late absentee uh, votes, John F. Kennedy pulled ahead in the vote count. He had filed an alternative slate of electors. Uh, the Nixon electors were unseated. The Kennedy alternative electors were seated. There is your precedent. Nobody, by the way, charged John F. Kennedy with uh, treason or sedition or seeking to, uh, to uh, rig an election. So this just blew up overnight. You'll notice I specifically do not use the words uh, plot. I do not use the word fake electors. I do not suggest that anything be rigged. Uh, I, and I say that this can only be done uh, on the basis of, you know, massive, uh, uh, overwhelming evidence of fraud. Obviously, that evidence would have to be real and compelling. There's no crime here. But uh, immediately you get uh, you get the low rent sites like uh, Raw Story, uh, Newsweek, which is no longer owned by the people who used to own Newsweek. That's the Daily Beast who bought the Newsweek logo and name. And of course, the aforementioned Daily Beast. Uh, and they hyped the daylights out of it. Um, Stone should be arrested for his involvement in Georgia. I have no involvement in Georgia. Uh, Stone should be arrested and indicted for his involvement uh, in delaying the certification of the Electoral College on January 6th. I wasn't involved in that either. This is kind of a recycle because before it was guilt by association. Oh, Roger Stone came in contact with members of the Oath Keepers of the Proud Boys. Therefore, he should be arrested. These people are out of their minds. Hmm. They have weaponized normal, constitutionally protected political activity and tried to criminalize it. Uh, it is really, really dangerous for the republic. Uh, but what it immediately does is it, it, it ramps up the death threats. It ramps up the threats against my family. It ramps up the threats uh, against my children, against my even against my grandchildren, uh, against my dogs. I mean, the, these liberals are insane. Uh, and, uh, you know, the idea here is to create a groundswell, create this drumbeat on social media and in the fake news media until you get some prosecutor who begins to actually believe 
uh, all of this unfounded BS. It's uh, it's uh, it's uh, tiresome. It really is. But I'm a warrior, and it goes with the territory. Very good piece at rare.com right now, refuting all of this, by the way. So, uh, Alan Jacoby, go tweet that immediately. I'm doing it now, Roger. Look at Alan getting right to work. Well, Roger, not really too happy to hear all the stuff that's happening to your family based off of, you know, the groundbreaking journalism by people like Joe Doucheborough over at MSNBC and Friends. But here's the thing. You've always stood in the breach. I mean, uh, you know, you've been one of those guys to take just as many slings and arrows as, as anybody else in America first, willingly, at times as well. And like you said, it goes with the territory. It's the nature of the beast and part of the business. Um, I do want to stay in this thread, though. I mean, you're talking about, obviously, pre-lawfare and people trying to agitate prosecutors in your case. But we do have a very serious one right now with President Trump. He still needs to report to the Fulton County Courthouse by August 25th to be arraigned in the most recent charges. Uh, apparently, he's a mob boss now. Mm. And even though, you know... The radical DA down there, Fannie Willis, stated that none of these people who are being charged with any of these crimes did anything wrong just because they kind of group think together. Uh, they're being charged in one of the biggest, well, this will probably be the biggest conspiracy theory in the history of Republican politics. So as you're seeing all this stuff, you know, unfold and, and in the face of one of your very dear friends, Donald Trump. How do you see this shaping up in the end? I mean, some of these cases are just absolutely ridiculous. I think all of them are done solely at the fact that at trying to remove him from the ballot next year and to, uh, you know, devalue uh, what Donald Trump brings to the table as he's surging towards the Republican nomination. But, I mean, at some point we got to get back to reality and understand that, you know, saying that this is unprecedented to go after a former president is something that's, becoming normalized now and it seems like every time one of these indictments or new charges are brought everybody just kind of takes it in, in stride and it's like not a big deal even though it's probably the biggest deal since we formed the republic yeah it is a, it is a politically weaponized judiciary uh it, they're criminalizing perfectly legal political activity uh it's interesting to me that in georgia uh, and in washington dc in order to convict donald trump the government has an obligation to prove his state of mind, meaning they have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Trump knew that he had lost, uh, but entered into a conspiracy with others to cling to power. I think that will ultimately prove impossible to prove because I don't believe he believed it then, and I don't think he believes it now. And I'm sure he'd be happy to take a polygraph test, even though it wouldn't be admissible in court, would still prove the point. By the way, the FBI uses them, the government uses them constantly, mm -hmm. even though they're not admissible in a court of law. I took uh, two polygraph tests that proved that there was no Russian collusion or WikiLeaks collaboration on my part. Doesn't matter. I got convicted in a Soviet-style show trial anyway. My real crime was being a friend of Donald Trump's and being unwilling to bear false witness against him. Uh, they would have given me... Uh, you know, a slap on the wrist, they said, if I would just simply turn on Trump and testify against him mm. falsely. And of course, I refused to do that. Uh, in the case of Trump, uh, look, he's a force of nature. He poses an existential threat to the two-party duopoly that is in the process of erasing the U.S. Constitution, uh, giving away our sovereignty, uh, and destroying our constitutional liberties. That's what this is all about. They know 
that if he runs in a free, fair, honest election, particularly against Joe Biden, who has a domestic and foreign policy record of disaster, uh, not to mention a growing uh, documentation of his epic corruption, combined with his inability to string together a coherent sentence, that Trump, no matter what you say, probably will win that contest. Today, or yesterday, actually, a poll by Joel Benenson, Democrat pollster, but very capable, conducted uh, polls for Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton's presidential campaigns uh, in a nationwide sample of 800 likely voters. He has it at Trump 46, Biden 46. That's the reason for this. Uh, they want to uh, they want to sully his name. Uh, they want to they want to dirty him up. Uh, they want to uh, they want to disrupt his campaign schedule so that he has to stand trial when he should be campaigning uh, at crucial moments in the campaign. And uh, they want to uh, sap his bank accounts. They want to 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 drain his campaign funds for legal funds. Uh, it's really insidious. It's also obvious. A great quote from Victor Hanson Davis yesterday. So the big challenge now is they're setting up a precedent with these indictments in Georgia and by Jack Smith that you can't challenge, you can't object to the ballot count, because if you do, you're a conspiratorial racketeering, uh, you're in a conspiratorial racketeering mode. And your legal team cannot offer advice to you because if they do, they're going to be disbarred or they're going to be bankrupted with the legal costs. I think that pretty much sums it up. It's a very, it's a very dark day for uh, our country. Obviously, uh, questioning the outcome of an election, questioning the anomalies and irregularities in an election is an egregious crime for which you should be uh, sent to prison and perhaps not even allowed to ever hold public office again, unless, of course, you are Hillary Clinton or Kamala Harris uh, or Congressman Jerry Nadler or Congressman Jamie Raskin or Stacey Abrams or Maxine Waters uh, or Terry McAuliffe. Uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, in their case, they can question election results uh, in 2016, uh, in 2000. 2016, 100 Democrats co-signed a letter objecting to the electoral count. None of them were indicted for an egregious crime. So it's the, it's the two-tier justice system we see yet again. Uh, they're, they're desperately afraid of Donald Trump. You know, when you take into consideration all the things that uh, similarly went down with your case in, in the Russia collusion investigation and what's going on now, they threw out a pretty wide net, 18 individuals, including a few who aren't as friendly with Donald Trump as they once were when they worked for him. Uh, it, it appears that they've kind of played their hand and are showing like, you know, they, they, they're not going to tell anybody. We're not going to say you're going to jail. But you could be going to jail for a long time if everybody is found guilty here. And, you know, Donald Trump's a billionaire. He's got the money to pay this off and, and stay, keep this in court for a very long time. I don't think you've got the money. for. Do you want to do that to your family? Is that kind of the thing that they're hanging out in, some, in front of some of these other, they're calling them co-conspirators, their former, you know, uh, legal counsel and, and White House admin are the, that are the people that are named in this as well. This is the kind of tricks that they're using to try and get them to flip on Donald Trump and, and testify falsely against things that most likely didn't happen. Well, we saw we saw recently this past week, uh, one of the uh, uh, maintenance workers, one of the valets, I think, uh, at Marlago has agreed to cooperate in the 
in the documents uh, case, the South Florida documents case. This case makes less sense to me than any other. The 1977 Presidential Documents Act makes it very clear that a president can decide to do whatever he wants with his documents. He can decide which ones are personal and which ones are to be returned to the National Archive. That was upheld by Judge Amy Berman Jackson, happened to be the judge in my case. Uh, she ruled that Bill Clinton could do anything he wants with his documents, including keeping them in his sock drawer at home. So uh, that is, a, first of all, that should be a civil action, if anything, although I don't even think there's a civil crime there. Uh, but that was the beginning. Uh, and uh, who knows if, uh, if, if Special Counsel Jack Smith is finished yet. Uh, you could still have uh, a superseding indictment uh, for seditious conspiracy, which if Donald Trump were to be convicted of that, which I think would be more difficult, uh, he would actually be barred from being on the ballot. Uh, there are some who argue that he can already be barred by the states from being on the ballot because he participated in an insurrection. Says who? Says some fuzzy-headed law professor at some college? Uh, that's not a judicial decree. That's not a conviction in a court of law. Uh, but that's that's what we're up against. They, they do not want to run against uh, Donald Trump. That's pretty clear. Here's the thing. How, how does, let's just say, things like the Georgia case able to hold up? I mean, I think all of these can, can pretty much be overturned in Donald Trump's favor at the Supreme Court level. Because, I mean, the First Amendment stuff, it's like the case that Jack Smith is trying to make is that if two people tell you something and you believe the wrong person, then you, then you can be charged with a felony for not believing the person that the Justice Department thinks was correct. I mean, that's just absolute garbage. We could talk about servers, stuffing ballots, pulling things out from underneath tables, etc. But when you look at just the facts that have come out over the course of the last two and a half years, Roger, there was the Time Magazine article. I mean, it was like the blueprint for exactly what they did to stop Donald Trump from winning the election in 2020. The 51 former intelligence officials who testified against Hunter Biden's laptop being Russian disinformation. The already proven receipts that we've seen as part of the congressional record now, big tech collusion, uh, with the federal government, DHS, the FBI, DOJ, and congressmen and women from both sides of the aisle repressing conservative American first voices, uh, you know, all throughout the 2020 cycle to stop Donald Trump from winning. Zuckerbucks. And then the laws within certain states, I'm going to say Pennsylvania as one of the ones that comes to mind, that were unconstitutionally changed to affect the outcome of the election in that state. When you look at just those things, that are already proven, they're part of the record, a lot of them congressionally. And now you're going to have some radical state DA try to charge Donald Trump with apparently trying to overturn an election. I'm air quoting here. How does that even, like, how do we get to an indictment there when this stuff has already been, been proven to be unequivocal fact? Well, I mean, this is, it goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning. They're saying, ah, three days before the election, Stone was predicting fraud. That's how, that's proof that he knew Trump was going to lose and they were preparing to to set up these fake electors. Well, first of all, Joe Biden bragged about putting together the most comprehensive voter fraud operation in American history. He just blurted it out, as Alzheimer's patients sometimes do. So uh, is it reasonable for me to expect to anticipate the possibility of fraud by the Democrats? Sure, when their candidate for president brags about it in advance uh, of the election. Uh, you're right about all those things, but the question is, in either the federal cases or in the state case, will the judge sitting and presiding 
allow Donald Trump to use any of that in his defense. In other words, is this an opportunity to prove that the election was indeed corrupted and therefore Trump had a reasonable uh, reason to believe that it was, to believe that he really won and it was stolen from him? Or will he be pre prevented from, uh, from uh, utilizing that defense? In my case, uh, I was charged with lying essentially, uh, even though not directly, about the Russians' online hack of the DNC, uh, who then uh, the hackers allegedly gave those documents to WikiLeaks. There's no evidence, by the way, of any of that. The judge specifically prohibited my defense lawyers from proving with forensic evidence uh, or expert testimony that there never was any online hack of the DNC, period. There's no evidence of them. Uh, it is relies solely on the so-called crowd strikes memo. The FBI admitted in my trial they never inspected the DNC servers, so they can't certify that there was an online act. Uh, and ultimately, we learned that Sean Henry, the head of CrowdStrikes, the third-party IT firm brought in by the Democrats, admitted under questioning before the House Intelligence Committee, which was classified at the time of my trial, that his memo and his company has no evidence of a Russian online hack. It literally never happened. Uh, yet, uh, they were trying to send me to jail for allegedly lying about something that didn't actually happen. But I was denied that defense. Uh, I don't know uh, when Donald Trump and his lawyers say, oh, now we're going to have subpoena power. We'll see. I hope so. Yeah. I hope this is indeed an opportunity to prove uh, that the election was indeed stolen. But remember, they have to prove Trump's guilt. He does, is not required to prove his innocence. That's not how the system works. No longer, and that's that's been very apparent over the course of the last couple of years. We've seen it explicitly with, uh, you know, people closely associated to President Trump and a lot of people that you're friendly with as well. I do want to segue, Roger. I want to start talking about this, this race that we're in right now, or lack thereof. Uh, the 2024 GOP primary race seems like a coronation process for Donald Trump at the moment. Uh, looks like he's on his way to an eventual three-peat for the Republican nomination. Something unprecedented. Obviously, it's only happened once. And, uh, you know, when you're watching this all unfold, the fact of the matter that the entire operation behind the scenes that prevented Donald Trump from being like the physical, touchable a candidate that Americans love to interact with during the 2020 cycle, coming out of the impeachment hearings, coming out of COVID. He's back on the campaign trail. He's back with the American public, literally with the American public. Now, all of the polls nationwide are reflecting that. You had mentioned the general election one that has him and Joe Biden tied at 46. That's up from tied at 43 last week. And it just seems like right now, we're, we're steaming towards the general election process, even though the first debate isn't until next week. As you've seen this, you know, GOP primary shape up and you've worked through a lot of them. Tell us about the greatest successes and failures that you've seen so far. Well, first of all, there is just no question uh, that this unprecedented assault on Donald Trump has turbocharged his campaign in a way that could never have been foreseen. So at the time he announced he was going to run again, he was the favorite. Uh, but uh, Governor Ron DeSantis really let the expectation levels for his potential get way out of control. And then, of course, he has not lived up to it for a number of reasons we can come back to. Uh, but Trump's, uh, first of all, on a personal level, uh, having traveled with him for four days a couple of weeks ago, 
Uh, his energy is exceptional. His mood is extraordinarily good. He's very determined. He's very resolute. He's angry, as he should be, because what they're doing to him is manifestly unfair. But he's not furious or unhinged, as some in the media would try to tell you he is. Uh, he's a happy warrior. He's at his best in crisis. Uh, and he wants to run against Joe Biden uh, because he wants to prove that his record was far superior than the record of the last, you know, three, uh, just just about three years. So uh, the Republican contest is, in fact, all but over. Uh, now, I think we're to the point where Governor DeSantis got out way ahead of his skis, uh, let the expectations get way out of hand. I think his entire candidacy was predicated on a incorrect premise that when Trump was charged with various crimes in various jurisdictions, that his candidacy would collapse. It's actually had the exact opposite. It has turbocharged his poll numbers, but more importantly, it has brought him in tens of millions of dollars of small and medium-sized contributions. These are from contributors who can give again and again and again. Governor DeSantis, on the other hand, has built no discernible small dollar, low dollar fundraising base. He relies on bundlers, uh, millionaires and billionaires, many of whom are maxed out and many of whom's money has strings. So, for example, the governor said that he was going to push legislation in Florida that would prohibit uh, the red Chinese or anybody fronting for them from buying real estate uh, in, the, in the state of Florida. It's a very good idea. Around the country, Chinese interests, and everything belongs to the CCP, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, are buying up uh, prime ranch land, farmland, bridges, tunnels, airports, harbors, toll roads, toll plazas, uh, highways, and so on. Uh, so they're buying up our infrastructure, uh, and we're doing nothing to stop them. In the end, Governor DeSantis actually reformulated his proposal. So now it only bans the Chinese from buying land that is contiguous to a military facility or a government building. Uh, that doesn't describe much of the state of Florida. So again, the headline, the press release, doesn't meet the reality. It's also pretty clear to me, living in Florida, that Governor DeSantis has tired of being governor because he's no longer doing that job. We have a, a horrific insurance crisis in the state. Mm -hmm. In return for $4.5 million from the insurance industry for his presidential campaign, Governor DeSantis signed uh, court reforms here where if your home was destroyed in the recent hurricane, or let's say you just lost your roof, and your home insurance company is offering you pennies on the dollar, nowhere near what it would cost to replace your home, you can't sue them. They're not suable. It's take it or leave it. If you're riding a motorcycle, uh, uh, we used to be a no-fault state. We're no longer a no-fault state. If you're riding a motorcycle, whether you're wearing a helmet or not, in Florida, it is not legally required. Um, and uh, somebody hits you in a car, you are immediately at fault. Under no circumstances under this law could the driver be held responsible. You can't sue them. Uh, the governor took nine and a half million dollars from Florida Power and Light and its subsidiaries for his campaign coffers and other committees. 
Uh, we have a 22% increase in our electricity rates. We have a malaria crisis. Uh, they released 200,000 uh, mosquitoes uh, that are infecting people in the state of Florida. Uh, we have a skyrocketing crime crisis. We have a fentanyl crisis. We're not different than any other state uh, in that regard. The governor is absent uh, in all of these vital fights. Uh, and then in some of the cultural issues where he staked himself out. So, for example, his executive order saying that they cannot push critical race theory in the public schools. They're right back to doing that. Yep. The county I'm sitting in, the curriculum here, uh, which is recommended and approved by the Anti-Defamation League, uh, is uh, essentially anti-white racism. So uh, all of these great promises were for the purpose of getting reelected. Uh, and then to come out, I don't know, a week ago and to say uh, that uh, he wouldn't have, he really didn't need Donald Trump's support in 2018. Trump held him back. He actually would have won bigger without Trump's support. That's a fairy tale. Yep. That's an absurdity. Uh, I was there. He was at about 7% in the polls. Uh, the leader, Adam Putnam, who was the former congressman, former agriculture commissioner, uh, was uh, just under 50 in the polls. Uh, Putnam had the endorsement of, of every single Republican county chairman, every single Republican member of both the House and the Senate, the House Speaker, the Senate President, every Republican member of the congressional delegation, with the exception of Matt Gates, all endorsed Adam Putnam. Uh, he was sailing to victory uh, when Congressman Gates persuaded President Trump to take a flyer on Ron DeSantis. Trump had seen DeSantis on Fox uh, defending him in the Russian collusion hoax, was impressed with that defense. Uh, Trump did not know that in 2016, uh, Ron DeSantis, who claims to be an America First Republican, actually refused to endorse Donald Trump after Donald Trump was the nominee of the Republican Party. So I, I believe his candidacy has been a... a uh, uh, a treacherous act uh, of uh, of disloyalty uh, and backstabbing. I didn't think the voters cared about that. I thought only politicians cared about that. I find out now looking at polling in Florida that that is uh, untrue. Uh, and then uh, in all honesty, I ask you guys, if you had a choice of seeing the Beatles live or seeing a Beatles tribute band, which one would you go see? <laughs> well, you'd go see the Beatles. Uh, we don't need a we don't need a a knockoff America First candidate when we have the genuine article. The founder of the movement uh, is yet another reason. There's no rationale for DeSantis's candidacy other than well, Trump is charged with these crimes. His support is going to evaporate. That very clearly has not happened. Uh, not only. Uh, is Trump, can Trump win the general election? My opinion, he's probably, like last time, uh, 2016, he's probably the only Republican who can win the general election. Yeah, I do want to touch on a couple of things there. Ron DeSantis, and, and are we going to stop talking about Jeb Bush and Scott Walker and, and, and Senator Cruz after this election cycle because Ron DeSantis has set the new gold standard of how to not run a presidential campaign? I mean, when you see how big this base is, Roger, and how beloved Donald Trump is, and the amount of people that have come out, let's just say on social media, to absolutely 
dethrone any kind of ideas that Ron DeSantis had uh, of being the eventual nominee in this process. I've never seen anything like, like there were memes against Hillary Clinton and stuff like that. But now you have things that are at like Hollywood level productions in memes and videos and things of that nature that have just pointed out every small little misstep that they've taken along the way and have just absolutely gotten to the point where I don't even know how either him or his wife open up social media anymore because it's just everywhere. And, you know, you, you've got people that are kind of like normie-ish, like Tim Pool and stuff sharing it. you got all of the progressive channels, MSNBC and CNN are running these memes and stuff like that showing. And they've gotten to the point to where even they're like, well, maybe he was a horrible candidate. And, you know, maybe he is awkward and weird. Have you ever seen anything like this? And, and how much does that lend credit to how strong and, and how, you know, loyal the, the actual Republican movement and the conservative movement, the America first movement behind Donald Trump is? Well, I had uh, Brendan Dilley on my show the other day. Great Warlord guy. Dilley. Yeah, this guy's guy. produced some of the funniest videos, some of the uh, the funniest memes I have seen on Ron. I think that the personal nature, the personal uh, treachery, uh, the double cross uh, of uh, of uh, President Trump by uh, by Ron DeSantis has bred a lot a lot of this hard feeling. Uh, he is uh, lacking uh, a certain quality uh, that I think is vital in today's age, and that is likability. There's nothing likable about this guy he's socially awkward uh he's weird he clearly does not like people uh I, I said this yesterday i was of course criticized for it but i'm reminded of the story of, about the guy who had a dog food company uh and uh, he went broke he couldn't sell any of his dog food he couldn't get any big orders and when he failed somebody asked him well what happened to your company he said well i had one major problem the dogs didn't like that shit <laughs> <laughs> I think this sums up the problem. There's nothing likable, approachable, relatable uh, about Ron DeSantis. He's he just seems odd. Uh, maybe he's uh, uh, an introvert in an extrovert's business. Uh, maybe he's uh, just a weirdo. Uh, maybe he has a personality disorder. It's hard to say, uh, but he let the expectations get way out of whack. Also, whoever has done the budgeting and the long-term planning yeah. for his campaign has never done this before because his level of spending, his burn rate, uh, the size of this enterprise uh, for the guy who's not in first place um, has really been astronomical. Uh, I think you could make a very good case uh, looking at his cash on hand today, uh, looking at his burn rate. I think his presidential campaign could be out of money as early as October 1st. Mm. And he, he does get a chance to reload because he does not have a mass base of small and medium-sized donors who aren't maxed out. So, uh, and uh, nobody backs a loser. So my guess is, uh, given the fact that he appears to be uh, falling behind either uh, Chris Christie, and let's face it, being behind Chris Christie's a really dangerous place to be, uh, <laughs> or uh, Vivek, uh, who is, you know, uh, somebody said a, a Hindu uh, pharma bro uh, who's never held public office again, yep. uh, but has a much more compelling message uh, than Ron DeSantis. Uh, I think he's very soon going to be in third place. Now, they put all their chips on Iowa. Could they have a breakthrough in Iowa? Not impossible. Ted Cruz won Iowa, went on to lose the nomination. George H.W. Bush won Iowa 
went on to lose the nomination. Is it possible? I think it's possible. Is it likely? I think it is unlikely. I have a very high regard for Chris LaCivita, who is uh, Donald Trump's campaign manager, uh, very, very, very capable mechanic. Uh, and I think they're building a very uh, methodical effort in Iowa to identify and get their votes out for the caucus. Uh, so, uh, but that's where all their chips have been moved. They've canceled their advertising in New Hampshire. They've kind of pulled out of South Carolina. They either break through in Iowa or they die. And even if they do break through in Iowa, it's not clear that they have what it takes to propel themselves into a long, drawn-out fight with the champ. No, I, I, I agree with you straight down the line there. Everything from Ron DeSantis's weirdness. I think it's awesome that you touched on, you know, there there are some people who are on the ultimate ultra-right side of America First who don't all the way love the inner orbit of people working around President Trump. I mean, I know people have hit up, uh, you know, Susie and, and, and Brian over the years, but I, I've said it over the last couple of shows, I really think Donald Trump is running one of the greatest campaigns I've ever seen. I think it's financially sound. I think they've got him pretty well insulated. They still let him be Donald Trump. Uh, you know, the, the way that the speaking events, we don't have to spend a million dollars on a rally like every week when you could go to these GOP state-sponsored events and talk to an intimate group where there are some donors and there are the people who are going to physically work on the ground for you in these states, hear your pitch and fall back in love with them. And, and I just think that, you know, you talk about Chris and, and even Stephen Chong, they've, I think they've done just a great job. And, and, and I think the job that they're doing right now is like they're lapping every – these people that have been in – conservative politics for for way longer than a lot of people know that are working with like Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and Mike Pence like they're lapping these people and it's like nobody can catch up with them because nobody can get traction because of how fast they're always on the go I, I just think that you know when you talk about the the GOP primary now they had a strategy they stuck to it I think it's gone better than they expected, and they've they've caught momentum that I really don't think they're going to give up. Last thing I want to touch with you on, Roger, I think it's equally important. You're already starting to see people in the mainstream media on the conservative side. You know, there's a couple bigger podcasts with bigger voice than Steak for Breakfast that are already starting to talk about and dooming about, you know, the general election. And uh, independent voters, moderates, walkaways, people that didn't vote in 2020, even though Donald Trump still did 74 million votes. I don't know why people continuously say these people aren't going to come back or, you know, that they didn't vote in the last election. I think it's just part of the mis- and disinformation process trying to devalue his overall candidacy. But here's the thing. Donald Trump heading into next year, lining up against Joe Biden, it's a slam dunk. One of the biggest reasons Donald Trump was able to win the White House in 2016 was breaking through the Blue Wall and resonating in the Rust Belt, including Pennsylvania. They've set up a lot of the campaign strategy-like forces there, similar to what Rick Scott started in Florida and passed down to Ron DeSantis when he left to become a senator. Uh, Ron DeSantis was able to weaponize that in the last election cycle, and that's where his historic victory down there for the governorship came from. But you have some of the people working for President Trump right now applying the same things in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, Wisconsin, etc. How important is it for people to understand that for as much as the mainstream media is going to try and demonize Donald Trump from everything that's going on with his legal issues right now all the way up to he still can't beat Joe Biden in the general election process to ignore all of that noise and focus on what we did to get to this point? 
Yeah, I think actually would make the case to you that there's a certain uh, type of voter out there in places like Michigan and Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, Arizona, Georgia, uh, who are not Republicans, who did not vote for Mitt Romney, uh, did not vote for John McCain. Uh, many of them have given up on the process entirely because it's too corrupt and too dirty. They will vote only for Donald Trump. That That's the fallacy of Ron DeSantis' candidacy. If Donald Trump got hit by a bus tomorrow, which is not going to happen, but if for whatever reason he was not the nominee, which I think is highly, highly unlikely, uh, the the animus among these Trumplocrats, these Trump voters, is such that they would never under any circumstances, vote for Ron DeSantis. They, would, they wouldn't vote for Joe Biden or some other Democrat. They simply stay home or they wouldn't vote for that office. So uh, Trump is the only one who can reach beyond the Republican Party to bring in a disproportionate number of, of independents. He also overperforms with African-Americans. Now, are, are, the, are the increases incremental? They are. But when you only carry Michigan by 25,000 votes, if you run two points better than, than Mitt Romney did in the city of Detroit, that's victory yep. right there, for example. So uh, I don't really put much stock in that. Uh, here's the question. Uh, no, November of 2024, what is the cost of a gallon of gasoline? What is the cost of a basket of groceries? The, the price of groceries, basic foodstuffs, has gone up by 76%. Yeah. Uh, how badly is inflation hurting the average working family? Here's another imponderable. How much damage has the candidacy of Robert Kennedy done to Joe Biden? I think the answer is substantial damage. Uh, Robert Kennedy has a number of messages which resonate with people within the America First issue. He takes positions on some other issues I don't agree with. But in the end, on the war and peace issues, on the big issues like thermonuclear war, um, he's absolutely right. So what happens to that pool of disaffected Democrats and independents when he gets kneecapped by the Obama machine, which is quite surely going to happen? Uh, they don't want to give him a fair shot. They don't want him to be able to compete fairly. Hell, they won't even give him Secret Service protection. His uncle and his father were both brutally murdered, one of them while president, one of them while running for president. They they heap abuse and vituperation on this guy, telling people he's a nut, he's an extremist, he's a conspiracy theorist, uh, which is meant to, to I think, or has the potential to, to, to motivate some insane person uh, or some lunatic to try to harm Robert Kennedy. I can't think of anyone in the country, certainly no candidate for president, who needs and deserves Secret Service protection more than he does. Mm -hmm. Under the law, anybody who's getting 15% uh, and is registered as a candidate uh, with the Federal Election Commission is eligible, but it is still a discretion of the Biden administration's Department of Homeland Security, uh, and they refuse to uh, give it to him. I think this is disgraceful. But what would be the impact of that candidacy? Uh, and uh, how? to what extent did the House Republicans pick up the pace and the intensity of their investigation into Joe Biden's corruption. Right. Uh, I, I had uh, Garrett Ziegler on my WABC radio show, uh, which I pre-taped that segment for this Sunday. Uh, and uh, he knows more about Biden's laptop than anybody. You can go to MarcoPoloUSA.org, by the way, uh, and you can download the laptop, or you can get a copy of the contents sent to you. This guy's do doing an amazing, 
uh, and meticulous job, which is why he's being sued. You can also send him a contribution. Again, MarcoPoloUSA.org. So uh, it is, uh, uh, it's impossible to predict what will the set of circumstances in the atmosphere be like in November of 24 uh, and what will have transpired between then and now. I still think Donald Trump is our last best chance to take this country back uh, and to reassert our America first principles uh, and to shut down what has become a corrupted two-party duopoly that is intent on destroying our civil liberties. You know what? For someone who's been in the trenches as long as you and has seen it firsthand, Roger, I don't know how anybody could be listening to this segment right now and, and not just understand that that is the way it's going to be. We try to shape a narrative every week on the show, bring in as many people as possible to help shape that, try to tell them the honest truth and you know the impactful analysis of what's really going on. But when you have people that have physically done it that are going to do it again over the course of the next couple of years like you are, uh, it, it gives our listenership the receipts that you can't get anywhere else. We are going to live link the stonezone.com in our show description today. We want everybody to be able to turn in or tune in to Roger Stone. He's got the Stone Zone live, 5 p.m. Eastern. And then on Sundays, he's on wabcradio.com. Uh, check him out there as well. If you're social media, I don't know how anybody listening to Steak for Breakfast isn't following you, but let's just say there's a chance we got a new one who's coming over, getting underneath the tent for the first time, and they want to be able to follow the man who gave us such great content today. Where can we find you on X? Uh, go to Roger J. Stone Jr., Roger J. Stone Jr. Uh, on uh, True Social, I'm at Real Roger Stone. Uh, I'm on Telegram, but I'm not really sure what's going on in Telegram. The more I post, the more the number of people following me drops. I really can't can't figure that out. I'm also Roger J. Stone Jr. there. So uh, you can follow me on any of those great platforms. Uh, I I'm active on all of them. Uh, it is, uh, uh, I'm very grateful to be back on, on X, formerly Twitter. And as you point out, my Sunday radio show, three to five in the afternoons, no matter where you live, we are live streaming at wabcradio.com. Uh, Lee Greenwood, country and Western legend, the man who, who, uh, made and popularized our second national anthem, uh, God bless the USA, joins me, uh, Garrett Ziegler from the Marco Polo Foundation. Uh, uh, joins me. Also, have a surprise guest coming up. That's this Sunday. WABCRadio.com. Today uh, on the Stone Zone, uh, you can find us at StoneZone.live or by going to StoneZone.com. Uh, I have Mayor Trent Staggs, who is challenging Mitt Romney for the Republican primary uh, U.S. Senate race in Utah. Mitt Romney is a backstabbing phony, and it's time for him to go. Trent Staggs is an America first candidate. He is a mayor there with a spectacular record. Uh, and I, I, I think this is going to be a great show. Check it out. Stonezone.live, 5 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Central today. Listen, what, what else can I say? It's been an honor and pleasure sitting down with you today, Roger. We hope you come back to the show again soon. I know our listenership will be pleased to find out that Roger Stone did nothing wrong except provide some fire content on steak for breakfast today this is the man myth and legend mr roger stone thanks for joining us great to be here and next time i want to get my steak i want it uh, medium rare absolutely quick question for you if we yeah. could start off sure. with the latest indictment yeah. of your chief rival donald trump i, I know we've talked about the two-tiered system of justice yeah. you see it in the past but if we could look into georgia specifically right we all heard that phone call with the former president then president at the time where he said just find me the requisite number of votes that i would need doesn't that feel 
anti-America? Doesn't that feel like not what a president should do? Well, we just continue to say it as I see it, which is that we see the legal system being weaponized against political opponents. That is un-American and unacceptable. At the end of the day, uh, we need a better system than that. And I frankly hope to be the president of the United States where we have an opportunity to restore confidence and integrity in all of our departments of justice yeah, in the country. Yeah, but that phone call, you heard it, right? Yes, but I, I, we've just drawn different conclusions. The next you question, think it's fine? You would do that as president? So, that's for, a little disingenuous, don't you think? Here's the thing. Before we even get into this, how awesome was it sitting down with Roger Stone for the first time? Yeah, that was awesome. Alan, He's the man. Can't thank you enough, Alan, and uh, we're, we're, we're hopeful that he'll come back at some point in the future and, and tell us some more stories. Listen, just That was like us. a solid 45 minutes. Tell us some stories, please. Yeah. Yeah, the stories, Roger Stone's stories are epic. You can compare, compare yeah. tattoos. I didn't even get into, you know, we were running so over, I was like, I, I want to ask him about his feeling on the comparison between Nixon and Trump because, you know, we've already had Monica Crowley in on the show. She worked for Richard Nixon in the latter years. She was also the assistant trade secretary during the Trump administration, so she's got a correlation there. But, I mean, you want some real receipts. You ask Roger Stone about the comparison between the two, and I bet you that guy could go on for another 45 minutes at least. Mm -hmm. It'd have to be a standalone. Oh, yeah, you could do standalone shows with him for an hour and a half, two hours. I'm I'm sorry, but there is – that I've seen no other political consultant or operative uh, with more political knowledge and, and, and information than Roger Stone. Any experience, you're not going to beat it. I don't disagree with you. Here's the thing. That was South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. He did not show up at Iowa over the weekend. He came this week as the Iowa Fair is getting ready to wrap this segment of uh, you know the kickoff for the presidential primary season. And uh, you know he was on the ground. Throughout the course of the week, taking some questions and, you know, checking out the animals and eating some eggs on a stick from the DeSantis stand. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. If the Ron DeSantis playbook that's leaked online that shows, you know, they're going to hit Vivek Ramaswamy hard and, you know, feverishly defend Donald Trump, then it seems like Tim Scott's taking that route too. Listen, we know Tim Scott and Donald Trump don't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. I still do consider him a outsider for the vice presidential, just based off some of the things he brings to the table. But you know, he it, listen. Donald Trump was not impeached for the perfect phone call with Ukraine. So if the House Republicans had already heard the perfect phone call, and the Senate Republicans had already heard the perfect phone call regarding the Georgia and the fallout from the 2020 presidential election. He's already made his decision, and, and he obviously sees the lawfare that's being waged against the 45th president. I think it's, uh, you know, you can't say it enough that this is a game for them. And, and, you know, even as Roger Stone alluded to, tarnishing Donald Trump's image on a national level and making him, uh, you know, not very appealing to swing voters is, is the plan here, in addition to trying to keep him off the ballot in some of the states, something that's been teased a lot as well and in publications like as big as the New York Times and the Washington Post. So it's real, uh, and, we, and we need to be aware of that. Another political outsider, as far as national politics go, uh, he, he's made a name for himself in North Dakota. That's the governor there, Doug Burgum. He sat down yesterday uh, for a panel discussion with a couple of the hosts on the CBS Morning Show. Haven't really heard too much of him. Barely going to make the debate stage, but, you know, when you're the governor of a state, you bring a pretty considerably decent resume to the table. Uh, We want to make sure we get him through the show, so let's check it out. 
And I'll tell you, the energy policies we have in this country right now are completely backwards. China imports 10 million barrels of oil a day, and we've got, you know, Blinken, Yellen, and Kerry going over there, and no one's even talking about energy policy. Putin doesn't even invade Ukraine if he doesn't have all of Western Europe. So we have to start selling energy to our friends and allies, stop buying it from our enemies. That would, you know, all of you, all of us, everybody's paying too much for their gas, too much for every consumer good, and the inflation that's choking this nation right now, uh, you know, 700 bucks more a month for the average working family. We've got to fix the economy. We've got to fix energy policy. And if, and if we do that, we're going to make the world more stable. Both of those things tie directly into national security. Well, well Governor. So Trump-backed energy policies, both foreign and domestic views, coming from the North Dakota governor there. What do you guys think as far as this debate shaping up? So the news broke like just about an hour ago here on the West Coast that Donald Trump was going to be sitting down for an exclusive one-on-one interview with Tucker Carlson, we don't know the parameters of it. Is it going to be a town hall? Is it going to be, you know, in the the room where he does all his interviews at Bedminster? Um, is there going to be anybody there, supporters wise? And it's going to run counter programming at the same exact time that the first RNC debate is on. What do you guys think? Nobody's shocked, but at the same time, like it's a solid move. Does anybody care Huge. about the debate now? No, no, no. Listen, Donald Trump takes the air out of the room. He, he sucks the oxygen out of the room and when it, wherever he walks in. I've, I've seen it. And these losers who are running against him, I mean, you have the Twinkie King of New Jersey. You got the meatball from Florida. Uh, all of them. They're not entertaining. They have nothing important to say. Most of them are just parroting things that Donald Trump has either done or wants to do or wants to do again. And then you're going to have the man, okay, Donald Trump, Speaking to another unbelievable political icon, Tucker Carlson, at the same time, what would you want to watch? It's not even worth flipping back and forth. You're going to watch Donald Trump. It, it, there's, there's no comparison. What if they did like Tucker and Donald Trump sitting there doing like the mystery science theater to the debates? Oh, my God. That would be the best watch party on earth. Because that would, be, of the world. that would be the only reason why the actual debates would get any ratings whatsoever is the people that were either bouncing back and forth or given the fact that the Donald Trump thing's going to be on what rumble or one of those rumble, maybe Twitter live, basically a phone application. So somebody could literally have the debates on, on mute while they're actually watching what they really want to see. And still they're getting the ratings, but if they could do both at the same time. Yeah. How funny would that be? Interesting. <sighs> I like it. I would, yeah. Yeah. I'd watch it. I mean, I'm probably going to have the TV on mute with captions while I'm watching Trump and, and How Tucker. dare you give them the ratings? <laughs> well, I'll, how about this? I'll see who's streaming it, not on Fox News. And, there you go. And, Perfect. And, Actually, that's what everybody should do. Yeah. Find a way to watch the debates. If you want to watch the debates, find another way to watch them where they're actually not going to get credit for you watching. Of course, Donald Trump was quick to jump to his true social account and put out a fire. True social post. Many people are asking whether or not I will be doing the debates. All Americans have been clamoring for a president of extremely high intelligence. <laughs> As everyone is aware, my poll numbers over a, quoting, wonderful field of Republican candidates are extraordinary. In fact, I am leading the runner-up, whoever that may be, by more than 50 points. Reagan didn't do it. Neither did others. People know my record. One of the best ever. So why would I debate? I'm your man. Make America great again. <laughs> I don't know why I just didn't put out a video like that. 
we're going to hear a funny one towards the end here. So one of the people who's going to be apparently the, the, the target of hatred from Ron DeSantis, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's now beating him in several polls now, knocking DeSantis down to third. Sat, he Well, yeah, he sat down with Tucker Carlson this week uh, for the 17th edition of Tucker on Twitter. And, you know, there's a lot of things that Vivek brings to the table, obviously domestically in regards to the economy. He knows how the business sector works, where he gets his outsider stick. One of the big questions that all the people are unsure of right now, probably even some of his supporters, are what his stance is on foreign policy. A little bit of a word salad. I want you guys to try and dissect it with me. Let's hear Tucker Carlson and Vivek talking foreign policy. People also miss this, Tucker, and this makes people uncomfortable as they get very upset when I say this. I think there's a chance that if we enter war with nuclear allied Russia and China, the United States as we know it, we may take a risk of it ceasing to exist. Of course. Okay, I'm glad you appreciate that. That's good because many people are like, what are you talking about? The United States ceased to exist. No, I actually think, (laughs) well, in a nuclear conflict, yes. Well, because we don't have nuclear defense capabilities. No. Defense, national defense has not been about defense for a very long time. Right. And so, by the way, super EMP capabilities take out our electric grids. We have, you know, 60 Chinese transformers that are in the midst, nodes in our own electric grid. They could shut down our modern way of life with that. You want to talk about actual cyber attack capabilities? We're better on offense. We have no defensive capabilities. And and so, you know, when I think about a modern foreign policy vision, I'd revive a modern Monroe Doctrine. You don't mess with the United States on our own soil. We are not okay with a Chinese spy balloon flying over half our country. We are not okay. We do not consent to a Chinese spy base off the southeast coast of the United States or in Cuba spying on the southeast corridor of the United States. We're not okay with intentionally pumped fentanyl, you know, the the raw materials literally coming, I'm not making this up, from Wuhan to Mexican drug cartels that are intentionally being pumped across our southern border as part of really a one-sided opium war. No, we're not okay with that or with interference in the Western Hemisphere or with China having control over the Panama Canal, something that people forget as well. No, we're not okay with that, but that is also our top priority. Protect the homeland and the interests of citizens here at home. That is how America is strong and actually leads on the global stage. People also miss this, Tucker, and this makes people uncomfortable. So what do you guys think here? That Listen, that was a really long-winded non-answer, mm-hmm. and it sounds like he's not very proficient in geopolitics. It's like, I'll, we'll still call it a work in progress right now. I mean, this is where your advisors and people with geopolitical experience that will join the campaign later on, uh, you know, will add to... I guess this continually developing policy platform, but it sounded like he was a little nervous too. What'd you guys think? I mean, he's good at sounding intelligent, even if he's not answering. I think he's brilliant. Yeah. A savvy business guy. He's in the energy sector. You know, I could see him having a spot somewhere in the administration in the energy department. Well, you know, whether it's high level or low level, I guess depends on his, uh, you know, capabilities. But, you know, listen, I, I got to be honest, it's just why I see all of these candidates and what's going on with Donald Trump. I think they're all self-serving if they're not turning around and saying, what is going on in America right now in our weaponized DOJ and literally all of these indictments and their political prosecution and persecution of the front-running political opponent? I'm, I'm going to be the man here because I want to save face of this country and our judicial system and just freedom and our rights and uh, our great Republican drop out of the race 
I'm not giving any of my money to Donald Trump, but I'm dropping out of the race and I'm throwing my support behind him. And it doesn't matter that it's just Donald Trump. It could be anybody. It's the situation. It's the principle. It's what's happening to that individual. And that's why I think every single Republican candidate should be dropping out and saying, we're not going to stand for this. And you're not going to take Donald Trump off the ballot. You're not going to put him in jail because he's going to be the only one running for president and the only nomination and then leave the decision making to the Democrats and the aren't or what they're going to do. Um, and, and and that's it. One choice. It's it's over. Let's get it done. Let's save the country and move on. Yeah. And I just think they're all going to, you know, if they're all staying in the race, taking advantage of the situation. They're all garbage to me. I mean, it's probably never happened before, but what if there was no nominee? Does it automatically just go to the Democrats? Is there some sort of legal? Uh, well, there would definitely be a not. There would not not be a nominee. I well, think. I know, but I mean, obviously, DeSantis would be too chumpy to to you know jump on jump on the bandwagon with that and support Donald Trump. But yeah, so he would stay in the race, and, and then if they would, would find a way to get Donald Trump off, they would nominate Ron DeSantis sure. at the yeah. GOP convention. Yeah, I think if, if they all decided to have gross spines, every single one of them, and drop out, and then for some reason Donald Trump was disqualified, which I can't see that happening at any level for anything that even he's charged with, because on all the, the face of all the charges, there's nothing there that even if convicted of right. could disqualify him from running for the office of president because it's not sedition, it's not insurrection or anything like that. So then if... There was no nominee. Then I guess maybe it would default to the RNC would make the decision. All right, who's number two? Who's the first loser? Yeah. You know, and and maybe it would be. Well, you can't even say it would be Ron DeSantis at this time. I mean, again, the Twinkie King of New Jersey is beating him in the Granite State. So and you have uh, Vivek beating him in a couple polls. Yep. So who knows? But yeah, the world. stuff that they're actually like charging him with, it's nonsense. A lot of it. And like they Most weren't even, it, and then there was that whole thing with the, uh, he was the interview that was recorded with the, the news reporter or whatever, where he was like supposedly showing classified documents. Right. Like that's not even something they indicted him for. So that just proves that was bullshit. Yeah. yeah. You can't prove that. And you can't prove that the man actually thought he lost the election. There's no way to prove that there, at all. There never will be. No one's going to produce some never previously leaked audio where he's like coming to terms with. The fact that he lost, that never happened. Nope. It's one of the things we got to keep in mind. There's going to be a lot of people staring, look, taking long, hard looks in the mirror after this debate with no Trump there. Wiping and, the clown makeup off? <laughs> yeah. So Brett Bear and uh, who's the other one? Megan, uh, or no, I'm sorry, Martha McGallum. They're going to just be. Oof. I was like, Rapino? No. Do you, <laughs> do you honestly think this debate is going to go on and the main topic of conversation is not going to be Donald Trump. Do you think we're going to get any type of real? They're going to talk about him the whole time. There should yeah, be like a bell that goes off or like a hook that yeah. pulls you off the stage. If you even mention his name, this goes into this argument where I, t I, I tell people, all right, Ron DeSantis now, because it's always somebody different. Sell me Ron DeSantis. You're a used car salesman. <laughs> Sell me why I should support Ron DeSantis. But the only rule is you cannot mention Donald Trump. But please, there's clap. Like Laurel, but please clap. What's that? But there's lemon yeah, laws. Please clap. There's lemon yeah. laws. <laughs> It, Laura Loomer and Bill Mitchell had the debate on Tim Pool, mm -hmm. and debate. There, they were supposed yeah, debate. It was more like a slaughter, a yeah. murder scene. They what they were there to do was to discuss the policies of the opponents that they were supporting and why people should support the opponents they're supporting. Bill Mitchell came in and just sat down and Orange Man bad, Orange Man bad. That's it, Boogeyman, and that he could, couldn't nothing could bring nothing up 
positive about why Ron DeSantis should be the nominee, let alone the president of the United States. And that's the the argument. That's what the left did with Donald Trump and, and, and Hillary Clinton. And that's what they're doing with Ron DeSantis. Nobody can come here with an argument and say this is who should be president other than Donald Trump without saying because Donald Trump is bad for America. It just they cannot do mm-hmm. it. No one can. Yeah. Mm. Well, I look at it this way. You know, we talked about the lawfare just a second ago. There have been some developments in that ahead of Donald Trump being arrested and arraigned next week. So I don't know if you guys had heard the uh, creepy lady, Jeannie Carroll. Donald Trump had asked for an extension in, in <laughs> that cat lady's case. What? what was her cat's name again? Vagina. Perfect. <laughs> so, listen, he asked for a, an extension because the court date is supposed to begin like a couple days before the Iowa caucuses, right? The judge denied it. So not only are they burying Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's criminal enterprise every time they throw out a new Donald Trump arraignment, but the case that he was uh, arraigned in for Georgia, now they're saying that that case is looking, they're looking to start four days before Super Tuesday. How fucking fantastic. (laughs) How is this guy, like Donald Trump has a legitimate excuse for this first Republican debate without even being, you know, an asshole or anything about it, saying like, hey, listen, I have to go down to Georgia and get arrested next week because they're playing lawfare with me. Sorry, can't can't do the debate prep. So it's, it's, it's real. They're bearing two stories at once, how amazing Donald Trump is doing during this primary season and all the stuff that's going on with the Bidens. I guess nobody's happy. Neither are neocons. Uh, we all know that. Tucker Carlson asked jokingly with Vivek how he felt about some of these monsters who control our government and the military-industrial complex. Does he think they're ever happy? Let's check it out. Vance is there a single the neocon boxes. with a happy personal life? Like, imagine... Like, <laughs> I haven't drilled into it. Dinner at Bill Crystal's house, the misery. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it does I don't know seem him, like... Yeah. I, and I don't yeah. want to okay. psychoanalyze here, but it, yeah. it does seem like their project has nothing to do with helping the United States in any way. Mm-hmm. And it is psychosexual or something. They're, they're for yeah, there is they're for war. War, as long as other people fight it. I mean, it's all... It's like a syndrome. I've never seen anything like it. There is a certain titillation you see when they're using words like Virginia class this or Ohio class that or tomahawks facing you know there, there, there's a certain type of yeah. of uh, satisfaction if your wife respected you, you you probably wouldn't have to talk that way um. <laughs> wow no the thing is I'm, I'm glad that Vivek was able to at least get the joke I mean he said I really don't know these people he, he said it like three times but you know when, when he starts making fun of, uh, of the Navy ships it's, it's good to see that he can uh, participate a little bit and Listen, we're going to try and get him on the show here in the next couple of weeks. I talked to his people, his team. Trisha seems interested, and uh, it'd be good to talk with him. We'll ask him a couple of questions that, you know, everybody hasn't and, and kind of get a real take on him like we always do. Almost done here. We've got Chadwick Moore, who just wrote the Tucker Carlson book. It's quickly becoming a bestseller coming in here in just a second. But I do have one more audio clip as our last audio clip of the week. I think Noah's really going to enjoy this one. I don't know if you heard about the polls. But uh, only one person ever thought that they were going to be doing this wellly in them. Mm. Let's check it out. Great polls just out, leading by 40, 50, and even 60 points. Who expected that? I did. (laughs) Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, all very strong, but also leading Biden very big. The sanctimonious is crashing. Perhaps the party should Mm. come together People should drop out of the race. We unify 
and we beat Biden and the Democrats. They should be easy to beat because our country has never been in worse condition than it is right now. Thank you. <laughs> he gets so solemn and stoked at the end. 60 points. Wow, whoever figured that out, I did. <laughs> you know, it was just announced today. I'm surprised Ron didn't mention at the top of the show, former congressional candidate out of Ohio, Madison Jesse Otto, has been named official RNC spokeswoman nationally. Hmm. And uh, that's great to have someone who's closely aligned with President Trump up at the top there in, in the national, I'm going to say it again, apparatus. Mm. It's going to be helping us win elections. Hashtag beat Biden, I guess, is what they're saying. But listen, that's kind of the back end of the week that was probably some big news over the weekend. Listen, at some point next week, Donald Trump's going to be arrested. We are going to have the first uh, GOP debate. We will be bringing you all the lowlights. <laughs> <laughs> Easy day of, of programming notes on the show because another segment will be the highlights from Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson probably just making fun of everybody. Mm -hmm. You know what would be great is if they just watched the debate and commentated on it. That's what I said, Mystery Science That's Theater. That's what I mean. Yeah. Be that, like that would great, be fucking yeah. fantastic. And, uh, you know, you want to talk about ratings upon ratings upon ratings, but uh, who knows? I mean, I'm sure they're going to come up with something creative. Listen, I don't want to see them sitting face-to-face -face just talking policy. They should just beat the shit out of every single candidate running and, and give receipts on why, um, you know, and then challenge them again to drop out of the race and support them because that's the only way Donald Trump knows how to do it. So we're getting ready to sit down with Chadwick Moore for the first time. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's a contributing editor at The Spectator. He's written a couple books. I really enjoyed his last one. So you've been sent to diversity training, but he's here to talk about his newest today called Tucker. Mr. Chadwick Moore, thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Great to be with you. Well, congratulations on the immense successes you're having with the book. And, uh, you know, since its launch, you've been uh, teasing this thing for a little over a year now. And uh, here we are. Uh, the thing is pretty much a masterpiece. It, it, it's definitely, I would say, more than an inside look into, you know, one of the biggest political commentators, political icons of this generation. You want to tell us a little bit about the premise of what went into uh, writing this book before we get started? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so we started this book over a year ago and, um, you know, I was, a, a guest on Tucker Carlson's Fox news show for basically the entire run of the show. Weirdly enough, I was a guest on the final episode of the show, which was April 21st. Yep. So that's sort of how I knew Tucker, but I didn't really, I hadn't spent any personal time with him. Uh, but you know, I knew that he was an interesting, really complicated guy, uh, who had a lot of depth to him. And, you know, I don't think there's a lot of cable news hosts, out there who you necessarily want to read a book about or a biography but i you know i knew tucker was different 
so you know he he agreed and um really trusted me he welcomed me into his life and his world and uh entrusted me to tell his story um he has never asked to see a word of the book never wanted to you know i'd spent tons of time with him got to know not only him but his wife his father uh his some of his friends and uh you know i really wanted to tell a story of you know a, a man. I want to tell the three-dimensional portrait of Tucker Carlson rather than the caricature that he's portrayed as in the media, you know, either as this, um, you know, uh, absolute force of darkness and evil, or even, you know, like a god and a Christ-like figure. Of course, none of us are either of those things. So, you know, that's what I think that we um, really accomplished with this book is just telling, you know, finding out who this guy is, where he comes from, what he what he believes in, what he's like off camera, and what his life is like. Well, I would think that's a really great point you make. You know, if you just watch Tucker uh, on, on Fox News and, and you follow him now when he does this Tucker on Twitter, and, and that's really all you get of him, you, you're missing out. Because to really understand Tucker Carlson, and I'm sure you could attribute to this, it's like when he goes on those off-the-wall podcasts that really don't have anything to do with politics. I remember, I remember when he did, you know, the Nelk Boys, and they're asking him questions that, like, anyone would know the answers to, but they're asking them like, it's like the biggest question ever on the politics side. And then when they get into like some of the social stuff, whether it be like, you know, the, the dip or, or how he likes to fish and stuff like that, that's where you get like the big complex answers and, and the complex nature of Tucker Carlson. He is way deeper and has a better understanding of like what it's like on the ground level in the United States and just about anybody I've ever seen do the news. And it's been like a growth process for him to get to that point. But I think now that he's there, you know, you watch the guy. He doesn't really pay attention or, or do anything with social media. He watches very little television. I mean, you just alluded to he didn't want to see anything you wrote in the book about him while essentially you lived with him for a year. And, and you know, it just goes into how deep of a person he is and, and where his real convictions are. Do you want to, you know, touch on that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. And, 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 that, and that's a great setup. And you're right. When you see him on these podcasts just talking and being a dude, which is the, the Tucker I got to know, you know, the, the, the portrait that came out of him, and I think there's a person that this book describes, is he's someone who doesn't care about politics per se. You know, he's not about point scoring for a team. He's someone who is far more interested in questions of spirituality, morality, beauty, uh, nature, family, you know, those are the things that he really cares about and, and is interested in and wants to have discussions about. But he sees those things as integral to politics, as, pol as, as our political instincts coming from those things. And uh, that's like, that's the person I found Tucker to be, which was uh, wonderful. You know, he's, he's very literary. People don't really know that about him. Uh, people also don't know he came from uh, the print world. Uh, he was a he was a writer. Yep. Uh, he loves great literature and books. He kind of stumbled into television, uh, and you know those those monologues that he was so famous for on his Fox News show. That's all him. And anyone who's has a literary ear, any writer, listen to those and know that that's you know that's that's a uh, uh, that are written by him. And 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 you know the, the, there's a good writer in there. You know, no, it's uh it, it's really crazy just to see. Uh, you know, the way you've been able to kind of let everybody into his life. And the book's been a massive success. I mean, I saw on your social media yesterday, right now it's number four on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list and number three on Publishers Weekly bestsellers. And we're just getting it out there, I know. And we'll touch on in just a little bit some of the issues you're having with some of the distribution companies, let's just say Amazon. I mean, I ran into uh, not getting it as fast as my Amazon Prime membership allows me to when I ordered the book. But 
when you see people kind of be allowed into someone's life on an intimate level like Tucker's, you know, there's a lot of people who are maybe teasing his uh, venture into politics outside of commentating and, and narrative producing uh, down the road, even as early as 2028 with, you know, some of the prospective people who are running in the presidential election now kind of flopping and, and not looking as great as they did, you know, at sticker price value. Do you think after really getting to, you know, get to the, deepest depths of what Tucker Carlson's all about. Do you see him at some point maybe getting into politics, or do you think he's just in a place right now where he's enjoying some of the best parts of his life? Like you mentioned his wife, you know, he's got children, and, and just the way that he's been able to kind of decompress from being stuck in the grind for all these years. So I would say with almost certainty he would never run for office or enter politics, but I've been wrong about things before. Uh, but the reasons why I say that is, you know, firstly, I think the top reason is he would never want to put his family through that. He would, want, would not want to put them through that level of scrutiny and attention. I think that's probably the top reason. But a very close second is I just think that Tucker lacks that gene that says, I deserve to lead people. I think he still sees himself as a professional observer who just simply makes observations, connects dots, and then tells a story about what he sees going on or what he thinks is happening. And I think that he really enjoys that role, and I think he loves that. I, I really don't think he has the... That, that whatever that is that makes someone think that they deserve to lead people. And, and it, I don't know, a lot of politicians, I think, are, are kind of sad and, and egotistical people. And, and Tucker's, I think Tucker's almost too happy of a person to ever run for office. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a great point. And, and I like that angle you took. I kind of feel the same way. I mean, I know there's some people saying, like, some of the people outside of Donald Trump have been such a disappointment in this presidential primary that it's almost time to segue towards somebody like Tucker. But then as I see him on, like, these podcasts that aren't driven by politics, I really start to understand the fact that that's not really what he's all about. Like you said, the the literary prowess that he has as part of his background that he brings to the shows and the monologues that he does is something that he's passionate about. I could see him writing books, maybe himself and, and things like that. But as far as like running for something like the president of the United States, I just don't know if that's something that's in his forte moving forward, even though a lot of us, you know, based off of the convictions that he has, would love to see something like that. Yeah, I mean, but also we kind of, when we see people like that whose who's politics we like, we like their worldview, uh, yeah, you know, we always kind of jump to they should run for president when a lot of, you know, we do need people like that in other positions. The president of the United States is a temporary job, and you are, your, your number one job is to basically be a manager of the federal government. You know, it takes like a bureaucrat and someone who can navigate swamp creatures and make deals, which I think as much as I, I support Trump, I think that's where Trump failed, is that he's not one of those people who's a professional bureaucrat, and that's why we like him. Uh, but that, you know, the pre job of president is so much more than, than you know, what we think just because we, we like someone's views. I mean, Tucker is, is uh, some, some uh, uh, PBS anchor or something referred to Tucker, I quoted in the book, as the high priest of Trumpism. And this person obviously <laughs> meant it as an insult. I, but I don't think that's an insult. I think it's maybe kind of an accurate description in that he was that voice in mainstream media uh, to be carrying that more populist, civil libertarian message and questioning the establishment in the swamp. I think that's also a reason why when Tucker's show was taken off the air, it felt like such a death for so many people. People, everyone knew that Tucker would keep going and, and go on to something else. But when he was removed from Fox for ideological reasons by Fox, it was the death of that perspective in mainstream media, which yes. is to say 
in the official national discourse. Our, our leaders, you know, really care about what happens on cable news, even though American public does not. Uh, but they care less about what's being said on Twitter. No, that, that that's an, a very accurate depiction of it. And I think like, you know, let's talk about that real quick. The fallout from getting fired from Fox News. How was it? That was probably a very emotional time. Maybe good, maybe bad. You're going to clarify it for our listenership right now. I want them to, to kind of get that that inside view of it but but during the fallout of that and and working through everything how how was his reaction and then was it kind of like he was finally unchained from the desk or or was it that he had unfinished business and now we see him moving on to things where he can you know do it the way he wants to do so he was i interviewed him a couple times after that uh, and and put it in the book because uh, we were basically done with the book when that happened yeah. and we up we pushed back the publication updated the book added new chapters and um you know, he was stunned and confused. So to this day, he's still an employee of Fox News. He's still under contract. He's still getting a paycheck every week. Uh, and uh, they still have not given him a reason why they took a show off the air. So he uh, is, there's that said, but he's also a man who has very high self-esteem. He said to me, if I'd done something wrong, if I had embarrassed my family, if I had had to go to rehab, if I got caught sleeping with the makeup girl, if I'd embarrassed myself, then I would feel really badly, but I haven't done anything wrong, so I can't feel badly. He was worried about uh, the people who worked for him, you sure. know, that show employed about 25 people. Uh, most of them are now with him yep. on his next venture, but uh, he's not, so. you know, Fox is still sending him cease and desist letters to shut up on Twitter. I don't know if you guys just saw this, but uh, just now uh, he announced that... Uh, uh, he's going to have Trump. Uh, Trump is going to be doing an interview with him during the Fox News Republican presidential uh, debate that they're having next week. So that's probably going to really annoy Fox. And I'm not sure what they're going to do about that. Uh, but right now, I would say Tucker is having the time of his life. I think he's had some time to get out of the fray and the noise for a bit and reflect. And uh, he's mostly just frustrated that he's still under Fox contract and they won't let him go. He wants to start his next thing fully, but there are a lot of constraints on him. His contract expires after the next presidential election. Yep. So Fox is going to keep paying him to be quiet unless he can get out of it. Well, I mean, I just, you know, we, we just broke that news as well on our show in our last segment, Chadwick, and I wanted to get your reaction. I mean, seeing how everything kind of fell out, the fact that, you know, he had to kind of pick up the pieces and put it all back together, bring so many people that were loyal to him over the years with him. You said a majority of them went with him and are now working on his newest ventures. You've had two of the most senior executives at Fox International go to Bedminster for dinner like 10 days ago. I know Ronna McDaniel brought a delegation of people from the RNC, including herself, to Bedminster and had dinner with the 45th president as well. Uh, you know, he's been teasing it back and forth on True Social for the last couple weeks, but, I mean, obviously the news was made official today. After seeing how that all went down in real time and now that Tucker Carlson will be essentially running the counter-programming that so many more people are going to watch than the RNC debate next week, how does that just kind of speak volumes to the work that he did and now is like kind of the cherry on top of the book that you wrote with him over the course of that year? Yeah, it's really, um, it's, you know, the book, it, it's interesting because it, it's, it's, this is the first, as far as I'm aware, it seems like the first primary cycle that uh, is totally decided by independent media and reliant on independent media. Even Ron DeSantis announced his campaign on Twitter yep. uh, and didn't go to Fox and that annoyed Fox. And, uh, and mainstream media is now being increasingly irrelevant, particularly in this primary process. And Tucker Carlson is really the figurehead of that, because even when he was on Fox, he was this 
sort of bridge between the mainstream and the internet and the mainstream and the independence. And he not only brought what, what people were talking about online, he brought to cable news, but then his show would go viral the next day, every day on Twitter. Uh, and there weren't many cable shows, you know, if CNN's going viral on Twitter, it's because people are, are dunking on them and making fun of them. Yeah. It's not because people are enlightened and really enjoying the content, you know? So, um, and, and now that he's off there, uh, there's not really that bridge anymore um, between between the two universes. Oh, it's a, it's an excellent point. And, and one, I mean, listen, we've got nicknames for half of the commentators that are in Fox <laughs> primetime. And if there's one thing our listenership usually comments on, it's that they finally caught on to why we call, you know, Sean Hannity, Boomer Sweats or Laura Ingram, the Botox <laughs> queen and all the other ones in between. But it's just, it's just the way it is. It's so awful and cringy. And he was like a breath of fresh air in between all that crap that they have on there. And now they lost it. And in addition to losing him, they're going to be losing in the ratings next Tuesday when they have the first. <laughs> RNC debate, so oh, it's going to tank. It's going to be amazing. It, it is, and and you know, it, it's great to see Chadwick. Last thing I want to touch with you on this is directed directly at you. We want to help you out the best we can. We know you have had issues with Amazon and the distribution of this book. We want to be able to let our listenership know a little bit about that, and then anywhere we could find it, we're going to live link it in the show description today. Yeah, you know, I don't really need to get into everything with Amazon, but but you, I, I the, we posted a lot about it on my Twitter account. Uh, you know, we suspect we have lawyers looking into how they sabot how they potentially it looks like sabotaged our week one sales numbers, so we wouldn't make the bestseller list. Uh, but uh, now they've suddenly miraculously started reporting their sales numbers, and we're on the bestseller list. Yep. People can get the book anywhere they get their books. Go to Amazon if you like Amazon. I guess uh, Walmart is running a sale. You can go to Books a Million, uh, Barnes and Noble, or you can go direct to the publisher if you'd like. Um, you can get all that information at TuckerTheBook.com. Absolutely fantastic. And for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can we find you at? Sure. I'm on uh, Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it. Uh, uh, my handle is at Chadwick underscore more. Perfect. Listen, this guy wrote the Tucker book. It was great sitting down with him today. You guys got to go out and support this. Uh, one of the best voices out there now has it in book form. And it was great sitting down with Mr. Chadwick Moore. Thank you for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Oh, thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Have a great weekend. Excellent way to end the week. What do you think, Noah? Outstanding. Alan, always a pleasure having you join us. Thanks for co-hosting with us this week. Listen, we want everybody to be able to go check you out and support you. So where can they find MAGA Mornings and support the Patriot Cigar Company? Well, first, it was great to be here. Thanks. It's great ending out the week with uh, Steak for Breakfast. You can find me over on Rumble, 1776live.tv. And, of course, mypatriotcigars.com. Use promo code STEAK, and you're going to get 25% off. Get me up on Twitter, ajacoby1776. Thanks, guys. Absolutely outstanding. We want to thank all the rest of our guests for coming down today. The RNC chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel, Chadwick Moore, author of Tucker, and the infamous and now great friend of the show, Mr. Roger Stone. They all helped make Steak great again. Guys, don't forget to be following us on all of our social media and subscribing on every downloadable podcast platform. And don't worry, even though we're coming in a day later next week, we'll be back on Wednesday with a brand new edition of the show. Episode 267 will feature Colonel Douglas McGregor, Ben Geller, Carla Sands, and maybe Alina Habba. On behalf of the entire pod team, I'm Ron. Noah, later. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend and take care.
can you turn your music down, please? Because I'm having a really hard time. Whatever. Yeah, sure, man. Yeah, I'll just turn it right down. Thank Sorry. you. Thank you.